0: Ben Hampson, welcome to the Chasing Discomfort podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Jay. Um, I've been looking forward to chatting to you all week.
0: Yeah, man, I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation and see where it goes. Um, for, for those listening and not familiar with yourself, you are a powerlifter. Yep. Um, and you are a powerlifter that's represented England and represented Great Britain and mm-hmm and most recently represented at the Commonwealth Games in Canada 2019?
1: Yeah, that was, in fact, the last time that I competed on the platform. Um, Obviously, unfortunate with the circumstances and and what a difficult year it's been. Um, There hasn't been any competitions. So, um, yeah, that was the last one. I mean, it was great fun, really successful. Um, I look forward to getting back out there.
0: Yeah, look, and I really really want to dive into that world with you. But before we do that, I've got a question for you. We ask all our guests from the off. So what does it mean to you to chase discomfort?
1: It's quite an interesting question, really, um, because there's quite a few things that I adhere to on a daily basis, you know, to ensure that you're working hard, either for yourself or for your business. Um, But, I mean, most of all, to be honest with you, I think it's um, actually committing to fulfilling what you, so actually doing what you say you're going to do. So what I I mean by that is actually executing. Um, Because, I mean, for me, related to training, if I have, say, four days of training in a diary, you know, I mean, things can change. Clients can move, being obviously a coach. Um, And if I don't adhere to actually completing my training, then obviously long-term, that, has an effect on, you know, it could be my performance on on the, um, say, platform long-term. So actually adhering to keeping to to what you say you're going to do and showing up. So I think that's really, really key for me because of how important powerlifting is to actually follow a program. Um, And, I mean, you can apply that across anything, really, in life. If you don't actually show up um, and execute what you say you're going to do, then the end result is not going to be what you wanted.
0: Yeah, I love those two words that you use, commitment and fulfilment, um, because they go sort of hand in hand, really, don't they? To be fully fulfilled, you have to be totally committed, in my opinion. Like, you can't half ask something. Um, people talk about luck, and I disagree to a point. I think luck's sort of more defined as preparation and you planning.
1: Yeah, and I put- mean...
0: Yep. No, I was just going to say I've got to this stage now where like I used to be so fixated on the end goal um, and when I sort of got there whether it was a PB or an event or whatever it might be and then I was like I felt a bit flat after so, so now I've sort of changed my mindset to fall in love with the process and mm-hmm. I just feel so much more like I get so much more fulfilment out of that so um, yeah it's a, those two words are very striking and, and um, um, yeah it's a great answer
1: I mean, this, like you say, with fulfillment, um, I think that you can achieve your goal, but not f- be or feel fulfilled from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you can achieve it too early. Um, I mean, you could think that you haven't worked hard enough for it, or um, your preparation wasn't as well as you plan to be organized. Say, for instance, um, so. I mean, there could be so many variables, but fulfillment, I think, is really important, um, especially from a perspective of continuing to be successful, because if you make yourself feel fulfilled within what you do, um, you obviously get that good feeling from what you do, which is going to encourage you to stay motivated, to keep doing what you do, or better yourself. What
0: what is success for you, Ben?
1: Well, (laughs) uh, it... To be honest, uh, like, it's generally, again, it's quite an open book because as long as I'm happy doing what I'm doing, um, I mean, I work with people, so I'm happy and I feel successful to to have a full diary, help people achieve their goals, and that fulfills me. Um, Whereas on the other side of that, if my training is not going great, I'm not going to be or feel fulfilled for that. Um, And I won't feel like I've been successful. Um, So I mean, to successful achieve goals on a regular basis, um, but they need to be realistic. So I suppose they need to be mapped out, but I think happiness and actually making yourself happy in the process is overall the goal, because if you're not happy doing something, then why are you actually doing it? Um, But To be successful in my sport, um, I mean, that is quite specific and there's certain, say, numbers um, that I would like to achieve. Um, But if you chase numbers too much with powerlifting, you can easily forget to enjoy the process and then end up disappointing um, because you can have shortcomings. You know, you can start taking weights that your body's not ready for, um, forget about deloads. And yeah, not consider other stressful factors because powerlifting is not very, it's not a very forgiving sport um, because as you can imagine, carrying, you know, three times body weight on your back um, is quite strenuous. So not that you're carrying it for long periods, but even <laughs> that 10 seconds holding it, mate, honestly. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <long enough. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, as long as it's an upward trend and you're happy at the same time, then I count that as successful. Um, not necessarily what you have. Um, but how you feel?
0: Cool.
1: So let's dive into the powerlifting
0: world then, because I, I am I have virtually nil to little experience uh, in regards to this world. I I understand that it's three three main lifts. So yeah. you your back squat, your bench, and your deadlift. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, yeah, like just just talk to me. they there like weight classes? The, is the same lift go first all the time? you lift until you foul or have you got like set series and rounds? How does it work?
1: Yeah, so it is um, actually run by weight classes. So you have to weigh in under your weight class. Um, for me, I actually compete in the, the lightest weight class, which is actually in under 59. Um, but off season, I can put on, say, five, seven kilos and sit anywhere between, say, 60 and 66 kilos. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for my last competition, in fact, um, ah, my last competition was bench only, uh, which was actually last February. So it wasn't the Commonwealth. But because it was bench only, um, it wasn't a full power championship. Slightly different. So <laughs> although that was quite a successful meet for me. Um, but anyway, so I was... I think six, seven weeks out, it was a little bit kind of last minute because I don't normally compete bench only, but there was an opportunity to take, take the title, take the trophy and then go on to be picked for great Britain competing bench only. So um, I had to lose um, six kilos in roughly six and a half to seven weeks. And when that's 10% of your weight, as you can imagine, that's incredibly difficult. And for powerlifters, your goal is to lift as much as you can on that platform at Potentially your lightest weight because you get more points, which are classified as Wilkes points, which are lifting the heaviest weight for your weight. There's a calculation there. Um, So, you know, dropping them kilos. And it's 10 percent of of my actual body weight um, is incredibly difficult whilst you're trying to hang on to maximal strength. Um, And I think that this kind of does sometimes go unnoticed because um, people that train for powerlifting, um, especially if they're competitive classes because powerlifting has got this really, really old school view that I that I think that a lot of people think that, you know, there's this big plus 140 kg man or woman. Um, used to be views of just men, but actually it's great to say that it's really grown in terms of women in the sport. And I'm going off on a, a bit of a tangent here, but um, people used to think that everyone was just overweight and just picking up barbells you know um whereas actually um when you dive into powerlifting, it's an incredibly competitive sport and the lighter weight classes are literally pound for pound muscle you know because they know that it's so important to have as much mass as you can for your weight category and if you're carrying extra body fat that's not helping you move them kilos there isn't any real reason to carry it I mean, strongman, yeah, they have an argument because they can rest the weight, they have more body weight behind pulling things. Um, But in terms of powerlifting, um, unless you're a 120 plus, you are categorized under your body weight. So to be at an advantage, you want to be as lean as you can, but as dense with muscle as you can. So my goal would be to be under 59, but predominantly most of me be just muscle. Um, But... Yeah, going back to the weight classes. Um, yeah, there's quite a few weight classes up to say 120. Um, and the ladies actually, their weight classes start lower, uh, which is, I'm sure it was under 47. Um, and there's an under 52 as well. So they're the two lightest. And that actually goes up to um, 84 plus. Um, so there's an under 84 and a plus 84. Um, they might have recently changed actually. Um, so. I'll have to look back at that because there was talk of some changes um, in the ladies' weight categories, more higher end. Um, but, yeah, so men and women do compete in the sport um, because of powerlifting has grown so much. In fact, over the last five, six years, uh, massively, that the women generally have their own championships now. So, I mean, you know, this is absolutely great because for, for women actually to be seen doing, say, powerlifting, um, wasn't such a traditional thing, but the fact that women enjoy weights—I mean, long term, they've seen that it's better for their health. Gaining more mass, obviously, their bodies are more metabolics. So they're burning more calories. Um, they're not gaining weight so much e- so easily. Um, and also, as well, you know, it's great for them to actually have that release that we have as well in the weights room. And obviously, they've got as much right to be there as us. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's some awesome women out there um that, that that can absolutely shift weight you know surprisingly um not that far away from some of the men you know in similar weight categories
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and you know it's quite often now in the powerlifting world that there are a lot of women that are stronger than the men you know um but yeah so obviously you got the two um male and female competing on, on different championships um basically you would start with a squat so there is free lifts so all year you're training just for these free lifts and you start with a squat you get three attempts so the first attempt would be something that you probably could do um for say three reps and you're only going to do um you're only doing one single rep so you have three attempts so realistically you want to take something that's sub-maximal something that's pushing you a little bit out of your comfort zone and then something more so top end that's near enough maxing you depend on the competition because obviously if you make a decision and you miss your last weight in your your competition that you're against gets a weight then they could easily beat you in terms of the total that they they leave on the scoreboard so after you've done the free squats you then move on to free bench presses same principle free attempts heaviest ideally would finish uh, you'd finish with the heaviest um, and then lastly you would move on to the free deadlifts and then once you've actually pulled the last deadlift um, then the totals calculated, and the winner with the biggest total, all three lifts calculated together, um, would be the winner. I mean, sometimes you'll come across the fact of um, there might be someone that's you know the same total as you. They've finished on the same total as you, but um, one competitor's lighter, so the lighter competitor would take the win. Right. That's um, so scoring is it that you mentioned earlier comes into play. Um. What, in terms of weight categories? Yeah, so there's been an advantage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I've I've been in a situation before where it's been that we are exactly the same body weight and I've had to um, pull a deadlift two and a half kilos more than them. Otherwise, they would take the win. Um, So, I mean, it does come down to that sometimes. Mm. Um, I mean, ideal situation, you wouldn't have that. But when it's elite level... Obviously, you get people that are at very, very similar standards and everyone's doing their best to kind of cut under that exact weight category. Um, so, yeah, if both of us are like 59 or, or 58.5, say, for instance, then I need to be lifting two and a half more kilos than that other person. Otherwise, he's going to take the win.
0: How early do you have to weigh in before the meet?
1: Do you know what? Um, it's, this is quite a tough part that's overseen as well because you only get two hours um, on the same day. And I know for boxing, it's the night before, which is, you know, it's absolutely crazy because I've, you know, heard of a lot of, boxers going through weight cuts and um i can appreciate what they're going through because i've been there because 59 is pretty hard cut for me um Mm. you know i I have to water load i have to water cut. i'm sensible with my meals i mean i've had it before where i couldn't really eat a meal before competition um and then the next morning i can't eat until weighed and then once i've weighed in you have two hours to get food down you to warm up and get on the platform Mm. um so (laughs) in terms of getting your calories in i mean i Try to have something that's going to release energy pretty quickly. Um, Also, long-term energy um, or something that's not broken down straight away, Um, something like oats. But I often um, go for a donut. (laughs) Um, I have had a McDonald's breakfast wrap before. Um, I know it's not great, but obviously high in fat, high in calories. Um, And when you put your body through something like that, um, you're often snacking throughout the day as well sugars, Um, I mean I've heard that you've spoke about pre-workout on your other podcast so that comes into it as well obviously just as a stimulant more so than anything else but um, I like to drink a bottle of electrolyte so that'll be Aid, pretty much straight after because hydration is going to be the most important factor straight away Um, but you've got to be careful as well because you don't want to eat too much because you're going to be lifting potentially your heaviest weight um, with a belt on And you want to be able to brace properly. And if you eat too much, it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable. Or, you know, it could end up coming out the other end or whatever end. You know, who knows? Um, But because you're straining so much, Jay, you know. So, um, yeah, it's difficult finding the balance. But with experience, um, you can kind of find out how your body works. Now, for me, water cuts is not really so much of a big deal. I know where I need to be the night before. Um, I mean at one point not great I mean I was predominantly going to this competition um, to coach um, but I competed at the same time and I weighed in over uh, I think it was this one was an under 60 competition and um, I was a bit blase about it just because it wasn't really a massively important um, competition for me it was still uh, like a British championship but there wasn't not sounding too overconfident, but there wasn't much competition for me to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I weighed in, I must've been about half a kilo over and um, I had a second chance to weigh in. Um, Fortunately, my friend had a sweat jacket, so I had to go outside um, and and get running for probably a good 35 minutes, you know, nonstop. And that's not what you want to be doing. Um, before you're about to, mm. to squat your heaviest weight, you know, <laughs> use up all your energy. And um, But fortunately, I wasn't so nervous. Um, but I mean, that's happened beforehand because of the fact of me coming in so close to, to 59 and it being difficult to get there. On one case, this is another British championship, but this was 59. Um, I actually was over by 0.3. Um, but at the time, I had to chew, chew gum um and and literally try to get rid of water and saliva just to come in at actually 59 bang on um so that's how crucial it can be and if you come in over your weight category that's it you're out you can't compete so you've had all that prep all year round you know maybe qualified for this competition um and you're bringing your best package and then if you fell or fall short right at the end because you've your weight category um, obviously it's devastating and it does happen high-end as well. I mean, there's been athletes in, in world competitions, you know, like the best best uh, athletes in the world. And because of their trying their chances with the weight cuts because they want to carry as much dense mass, um, then they've come in overweight. And yeah, it's really, really unfortunate because you can appreciate the, the work that they've done and that they can't actually lay it on the platform um, and by their training as well, you expect them to bring a really good package to that platform. So even exciting for the spectators to see, um, but obviously just not making the grade for the car. Um, but yeah, I mean, for powerlifting, it's not really a great spectator sport. I mean, unless you like seeing people foul on their last attempt, mm-hmm. which I mean, can be quite entertaining sometimes, especially for a last deadlift when everyone's a bit tired throughout the day people obviously are pulling their maximal weight with not so much energy. um, And some people get a little bit lightheaded, but um, I mean, you have three referees um, or judges, whatever you want to call them. Um, You have two from either side and one directly um, in front of you. Um, So they all basically give you the commands and tell you whether you get the lifts. Um, But there's quite a few strict commands within powerlifting so uh, for instance an example would be um, if I was about to squat and um, I squatted and then I moved before they said put the bar back in the rack they would just say rack um, then generally you could fail that lift um, so there's a lot of rules that are kind of making it more complex than just lifting in the gym mm-hmm. um, I mean that's Really interesting because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, my PB is like a, you know, a, a 200 bench or whatever. I mean, that's not for me, but um, and and it's like, actually, if you if you're interested in powerlifting and you wanted to apply that to powerlifting, you need to pause on the chest until the bar still before you actually get a command. Um, plus, you have to hold the bar in a position where you're ready to bring the bar down and then press um, before they actually give you the command. So, it's really not as simple as you know, you just take out the bar, bring it back down, and bounce it off your chest. If your foot moves a little bit, then you get one of the judges will, will give you a, um, a red flag, or shall I say, a red light. Um, and actually, in terms of the lights, you need three, sorry, two white lights out of the possible three. So, if two of them judges, um, see anything, maybe your hips come off the bench while you're benching or your foot moves, um, then yeah, you fouled that lift so sometimes well, you can be really really fortunate that they might miss something or they're paying attention to something else, um, but other times, if you don't please them really with your lifting and show clean technique, they kind of watch you a little bit closer, so I think you can work with with the referees as well, get them on your side sort of thing
0: When you're racking in a a bar for a bench and you're you're bringing it off the rack to do your first bench press, are you allowed to have any assistance with that or is it totally unaided?
1: It's recently changed because of COVID. So now they're saying that you have to do a self-lift out, which means getting the bar out yourself. It's quite difficult to actually keep the whole tightness in your body um, and keep your legs into the floor um, to create more leg drive during the press when you're bringing the bar out. So sometimes you can lose position, but that's something that we've all had to factor in. And when I do make it again to the platform, I think I will make, we'll find it a little bit tougher. Um, yeah. but I mean, I have been practicing, um, it used to be before COVID, um, that you can actually have a lift out, but it has to be one of the spotters that are actually on the platform, not in all competitions. Um, I mean, there's quite a few powerlifting federations. So, um, You've got uh, British Drug-Free Power, Powerlifting Federation, which is the federation that I actually started in. And you've got British Powerlifting, which used to be um, GBPF. Um, so that was great British Powerlifting. Um, that used to be, it's just changed its name pretty much. Um, so the standard is quite different in both. But in British Drug-Free Powerlifting, you can have a coach that can lift you out. So I have lifters that compete in that federation. And I'll generally lift them out because they'll have more trust in me passing the bar out than they will for someone that they don't know that's a spotter. Mm. Um, The records are different across both. Um, They're both drug tested federations and I've been drug tested twice. Um, But there are federations out there that aren't drug tested um, that are for people that, you know, like to take um, peds, which is completely up to themselves. But I, disagree with obviously them entering a, a drug-free competition and yeah. they do get found out i mean in fact the british drug-free powerlifting a lot of people start in there because i think it was 10 to 20 percent of lifters are tested um you know which is a reasonable amount so if you place kind of first second third or even platform right um that you're likely to get tested um and i've been tested twice gbpf because of the funding for testing um it does go on but you just don't get tested as often Mm. um but it would be great if there was more testing in british powerlifting gbpf because the records are far higher um and yeah it's often that a positive would spike up you know just like any sport i mean powerlifting's unfortunately not an olympic sport um as we mentioned it's not kind of that entertaining for spectators and it does take quite a long time um so that's partly it plus the funding um plus there's a similar sport which is obviously Oli lifting olympic weightlifting um and also as well there wasn't so much interest but recently over the years it is growing um and there was an event that was going to be um trying to think uh, where it was now um, but there was going to be a large event actually um, of powerlifters elite level powerlifters which was a sponsored competition um, and 12 of the best lifters in the world male and female um, were invited overseas um, to here it was in Sheffield actually um, I mean these are these are crazy guys honestly like I mean a, a four times bodyweight deadlift is normal for these guys i mean it's incredible uh and they had a sellout in the stadium which was 1200 people and this was just before lockdown which was last march Mm. um i wasn't going to go because my team were actually competing so i was going to be coaching them Uh, but i mean i was so excited to see what these guys were capable of you know because they'd all been training really hard um there was a little bit of money for the winner um and they were the sponsors are trying to grow the sport you know, So that was going to be a massive event. I think that will return at one point. I don't know when, um, but I mean, we're talking elite of the elite. Um, so for me, that wouldn't be something that I would compete in. I mean, you know, I'd love to compete in that and that would be an end goal. But for me right now, I don't think it's realistic. Um, never say never, but just right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, returning back to kind of what happens in powerlifting, um, in in terms of the wake, uh how many people compete, um, you can have a certain number of flights. So you might have the fifty-nines and the sixty-sixes um and the seventy-fours um lifting in the same flight. They'd all do their lifts, so they'd do all their squats, they'd do um all three squats, and then they would go and rest, um, and then they'd warm up for say their bench. And then you would have like the eighty-threes, the ninety-threes um the 105s, etc., um, which would be then squatting.
0: So do you get given like an allotted time to say like at 10 past ten you're gonna be doing your back squat so you can prep and warm warm up for that?
1: Exactly. And to be honest, because I'm the lightest, which means I'm the first uh weight category on, yeah. Um I always think that I'm at a disadvantage because I don't have as long as say the 66s or the 74s because I'm literally like second third if i'm opening which is your first lift um on say uh, a 160 squat and there's two other people or three other people that i'm competing against if they have lighter squats than me say 140 or 150 um then they will squat before me but even then um i'm still one of the first so when it comes back to eating and digesting your food the 60, 60, 74s probably have a little bit of a better ride. Um, I mean, one time I actually missed uh, my weigh-in time. So there's a list on the door where you, it's like just an order. They call it a lot number. So they basically put you in an order. You get a lot number. And as they're going through the order, um, you go and weigh in. I think I was probably 5th They've called my name out. Unfortunately, I'm not there. Um, and... They just carried on through the list, so I've turned up and said, Hi, you know, I'm here for my weigh in. Um, I was incredibly, um, you know, polite about it. Um, and then they said to me, Oh, you're gonna have to wait until the end. (laughs) And I thought, Oh, what? I'm starving, so I've got to wait all the way until the 74s have all weighed in to then go and weigh in, eat then go and warm up and lift first on the platform <laughs> oh, i was killing myself i was like no way and obviously you know you're you want to get weighing out the way because it's probably the, the toughest part you know psychologically you're thinking am i going to make way in am i going to wait wait make way in because um that's the, the the tough part that for me always that i worry about um i mean i, I would go to bed. 11 12 o'clock i mean before any massive event you don't really get a, a great sleep do you but that kind of doesn't really affect my performance um because of how i'm feeling obviously i'm just buzzed for the whole event but i generally wake up at like five or six jump on the scales and i'm like right cool i've lost you know half a kilo overnight and then i jump back on the scales another half an hour and i'm like right i'm gonna be leaving the hotel in a minute and i jump back on the scales and i'm like okay cool right, well, i'm not 0.2 to go smashed it by the time i get there but sometimes by the time you get there you know that water doesn't want to drop off Mm. um but as i say with practice you generally kind of know how how your body's going to go um but mentally i think water cups is is pretty tough going um because you have to upload the water beforehand um probably what five days out um and then the day before comp i normally just sip water from kind of midday um so having to drink so much more water to so upregulate regulate your body which is going to release horns to tell your body to release more water um obviously that's continually higher so when you cut back your water you're still excreting more water um so hence why you come in more like drier um but talk to
0: me about that upload process ben so like how, how do you get your body into that state of, of losing more water? Would you just drink more or do you, is it not as simple as that?
1: Uh, it, it depends on the individual of, of height and weight um, and, and generally how they hold water and how their body responds. Um, I mean, for me, um, if I was competing on, say, a Saturday, um, I would generally double um, my water intake So I would aim for anywhere between four and five liters, um, starting from Tuesday, uh, which as you can imagine is is hard, you know, you just constantly sipping. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, so I would do that for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, and then up until Friday midday. Um, so Friday midday, once you stop having water, you're used to taking in a lot more water. So you actually feel a lot dehydrated a lot quicker because you're so used to having um a, a double the amount of intake. Um so yeah that's pretty tough and I mean <laughs> a few nights before where I've really really been gasping to have a drink I've had to have a few sips you know because I've I've been so dehydrated. Um mm. but on other cases I've I've made it and not drunk for you know 22 hours um because of trying to make it for for the weigh-in um hence why going back to boxers i mean obviously they have it hard as well because they've still got to do the water cuts etc but they can at least have a refeed um a good time before so oh, they man. can refuel digest the food oh, you know
0: they they swell up they put on like mm. 15 pounds like yeah yeah from way to fight night and they look they look like someone else you don't know?
1: they? they? yeah yeah
0: Like, their muscles just look full. They just look like they're ready to go. And, like, for someone who's naturally in that weight, looking at someone who's made a massive cut, swelling up, like, like it must be quite a psychological effect, um, looking across the ring back at someone who's pumped and looks, you know, nearly twice your size. But I'm fascinated by this um, sort of subject because it's it's an area that uh, I understand, like, from a bodybuilding world, from, like, a fighting cut, um, and like when you say you drink sort of you four liters, I mean, it, it's not unusual for me to down a litre before I clean my teeth in the morning. Um, but I know that just drinking water, like water is not great for you because you're flushing out sodium. So like, do you, do you have to manipulate your, your, your vitamins and your micronutrients to make sure that you don't get cramps and, and like your performance be affected by it all?
1: Personally, I don't. Um, it's something that I haven't had to tamper with, fortunately. Um, and my body's always responded how I've wanted it to. But on the flip side of that, obviously, my priority would be to replace them. Hence why my first go-to would be to literally jump off the scales within five seconds. Aid, Powerade, um, a few Jelly Babies, um, and then that famous donut. <laughs> Not just any donut always on my on my drive to my competitions i stop off at the um the petrol garage and it's like right what free crispy creams am <laughs> i gonna get and it's like if i'm with a friend or whatnot and um, i say right okay so what one do you want because i'm having two of them <laughs> like, and um yeah i look forward to that and it's like right comp time you know mindset I look yeah. forward to smashing this tomorrow. Um, all set up, well on the way. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, that's definitely an important factor. Um, and I've had it to the point where I've I've felt cramps, um, especially when you're benching after squatting. Um, at one time, I had to reset on bench and I nearly run out of time because you only actually get 60 seconds once you're on the platform to execute right. and lift. So if you start setting up your bench press and then you – obviously um, you need to reset up again, then yeah, your time's ticking. Um, So you have to actually have the bar and get in your hand and have a start command um, before the timer runs out. So obviously you're kind of relying on the judges giving you the command and you being ready for the judges. Um, So yeah.
0: So back squat first, bench second, then... Mm -hmm heard what what are you some of your well what are your all-time prs at, at that body weight or that body weight?
1: so uh um, i've hit i think i was probably 58.5 actually at this comp um i've had a 180 back squat um i've had a 120 bench and a 200 dead nice nice that's big numbers
0: weighing in at, at under 60 kilos that's phenomenal
1: yeah, still got work to do, mate. <laughs> well, um,
0: so, and before I forget, because I wanted to ask you this earlier when you was talking about it, but so when you're out of season and you're at, say, like mid 60s, 65, and you've got to drop six or seven kilos, like what's, what's the golden ticket? How do you lose weight but maintain nil, nil maximum strength?
1: Yeah, I mean, interesting because sometimes that, that's not my approach. I mean, ideally, I would stay between 60 and 61. Um, I mean, I'm currently um, between, yeah, 60 and 61 at the minute and off season um, because then I haven't got to put myself through um, more stress of a deficit, you know, worrying about breaking down muscle, taking my calories down. Um, But I actually know my body kind of inside out and what it reacts to. Um, But on the flip side of that, I'm still trying to increase my calorie input um whilst sustaining say 60 to 61 um because and then the cut's not going to be as hard long term i'll be able to hold on to more strength it was just that that last competition was a little bit kind of last minute for me um but we still made it and i still pb'd um but you know the circumstances wasn't the best um so organization and bit more planning next time the execution will probably be even better um so hence why now i'm in a position where my calories are reasonable um they're going to be going even higher um and then long term if i do have to cut, i'll literally only just be over 60 and i'll have six eight weeks to do it you know so i'm more likely to actually bring a better package to stage
0: so on that note, then, because everyone loves chat about nutrition, um, do, you, do you weigh and track
1: your food? It's something that I fell down a little bit on over the years. Um, and I, I do. Um, I, I mean, definitely now. But over the years, if I was to go back to when I started powerlifting, it's something that I should have adhered to a little bit more. Um, I think that I could have performed better probably even my cuts would have been a little bit better if I had information um, about what was going into my body. I mean, we kind of know whereabouts if we take notice to our food. So, um, you know, I knew what I was eating. I I knew how much I was moving, but the more information you have, the more educated, um, say, decisions you can make. Mm -hmm. So I think if you want to be the best in what you do, all the information is going to make a difference. Um, so now, um, I do calculate my food, um, also as well. So it's like, if I want a reaction out of my body, um, I know that everything's in a position where actually I can manipulate it and I'm going to see a change rather than just guesswork. You know, if you can take the guesswork out and you're serious about competing and that's something that you want to do, i.e. bodybuilding, powerlifting, you know, getting leaner, lighter, et cetera, um, then, then do it um but on the flip side of that if you're doing it for fun sometimes tracking food can take the fun out of something like powerlifting because anyone can do powerlifting that's the great thing about it you know you might have uh, maggie that's never done sport in her life you know she might be 55 year, years old and be like actually I'm, I'm enjoying weight training never done it before um you know i'm getting stronger here and then she might go to a competition you know people are praising her there's so much camaraderie and positivity in Mm. powerlifting and anyone can do it you know there's so many different weight categories and ages um so yeah you kind of want to be careful not to take the fun away from something like that Mm -hmm. but on the flip side you know if you are tracking then you can make more educated decisions you're more in control of your your weight fluctuations or making your weight cuts um and everyone's body's different so For me, in terms of like recommended, say, macro splits, I like to understand how their body's working right now. Mm -hmm. So if they ask me to make changes to, to say, their nutrition, I would look at understanding three days or more of of what they're actually eating, Jay, before sitting back and and just giving them calculations Uh, because I think that's really important to understand where they are now um, to where you're going to take them
0: it's it's very unique isn't it like case by case everyone's different everyone's got intolerances allergies you know like me and you might be able to sit here and smash a peanut butter sandwich but you know someone else has peanut butter and you know it's fatal for them so like yeah that's 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 quite a unique uh world and dogma and religion everyone says you know like Uh, if people have to be all in like, no, you, you have to eat this or you can't eat that or that's good. And that's bad. Like I'm just interested because um, like when you said that you, you, how you manipulate your food. So what will that just be like, will your protein and fat stay the same or will you just change the carbs?
1: Do you know what? Yeah. It just, it depends on the situation and how I'm feeling. Um, And Sometimes it depends on, yeah, my appearance, because right now I'm looking to hold on to as much muscle as I can um, and get leaner. So I actually um, cut my carbs from where they were. So an example would be I took my carbs up to 350 grams. Right. And, you know, I'm sitting on a daily basis, a weight of like 61 to 62 and a half. You know, that's a lot of carbohydrates for someone of, of my size. Mm. So I've decreased them um, over the last must be eight, nine weeks. Um, and they're currently sitting at 200. I don't want to be going any lower there um, because it's going to start to affect my performance. Mm. And also where I've been used to actually digesting carbs, my body's used to utilizing carbs. So when I don't have as many, it's noticeable. Yeah. But I think long term, there's, there's definitely... Um, a positive of being able to live on more carbs because you generally have um, the opportunity to eat more food, which generally a lot of foods that people enjoy are carbs. So Mm -hmm. if you can actually put your body in a position where it's used to utilizing carbs as an energy source rather than avoiding them, I think that you're going to have more energy. You're going to be happier. You can eat more variations of food. You can actually enjoy your social life and not really worry about gaining any weight. But I think there's, um, you know, a massive kind of stigma about people um, oh, cut carbs before marbs, you know, and it's a bit like, OK, cool. So you're going to cut your carbs before you go to marbs. But when you go to marbs, you go to a brunch on the first day, you're going <laughs> to consume three, four hundred grams of carbs. And then the next day you look like a potato. You know yeah. what I mean?
0: Or three thousand calories in prosecco, or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah, 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 and all the cakes and all this and all the sweets or well, whatever. Um, but it's it's madness, right? And it's like actually they've put all that graft in, and and they've been, you know, focused on that diet for so long, Jay. And it's um, it's just a shame that um, you know, one day of of eating that food again then catches them up. And I mean, look, we've all been there, and you know, I've done it myself, and I don't like to kind of speak of anything that i haven't really tried myself and i think that's quite important because you know how your body reacts um and it's like yeah well actually we need to have more of a sustainable approach but there are sometimes situations where we might have to quickly you know cut carbs say oh i've got a photo shoot need to get rid of some water get rid of some carbs um for for like the next day extreme situation but generally Having more food longer term, I think, is definitely more sustainable. You've got more energy, keep more muscle for longer, perform better. Um, yeah, there's just so many advantages. Yeah, agreed. Do you just track what you're burning? Uh, I do, um, but I actually take it off when I power lift. Right. <laughs> so um, I track it but I don't really check it so much because I'm so consistent in, in my daily activities. Um, I mean, generally if I'm PTing or coaching, I'll be standing on my feet for nine, 10, 10 hours a day. Right. And that's pretty consistent. Um, I walk five, uh, five kilometers a day as well, which will burn obviously a certain amount of calories. Um, but in terms of my training, because it's similar, unless I'm doing a, a kind of extreme volume block, the output, is the same, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be looking at too many factors. That's going to become obsessive for me. Obsessive for me. Um, again, kind of relating it to enjoying the process. If I am looking at my food, and then looking at my output, and you know, trying to manage my my clients and write programs and look at their output, their input. It's like actually, like how many things can you deal with, and at and and what can you focus on out of them things that you're dealing with. Um, so. It's not a priority for me for output because I'll see how the food's making my body react. And I generally know that I'm doing enough output anyway. So because of the lockdown situation, I was walking 10 10 kilometers a day um, and I'm actually kind of coming back from uh, a little bit of, uh, not a hip niggle really, it's more so of a long-term injury. So every competition I've been to, I've always had kind of 80% On the platform um and a lot of the times it's come down to the deadlift and i haven't been able to pull any big deadlifts because of my squats actually um, damaged my hip or or prevented one of my glutes from firing properly um Mm -hmm. which is really unfortunate so um it's something that i am working on and hopefully long term i'll bring a much bigger total hence why i'm not really satisfied with the the lifts um but i'm working to kind of make that stronger so i'm functioning on all cylinders um i mean i going off again on a bit of a tangent but i actually have scoliosis, so i have um an imbalance or or shall i say curvature of the spine which Mm. leads leads to having um, an imbalance in my pelvis right so as i squat um, there is a lot of over un- over and underactive muscles that are firing or not wanting to fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that there's not much room for margin for me. So if I hit a bad rep, there's a lot of repercussions. Um, so that's something that I've always been working against. Um, but as I was saying, I was walking 10K, but that wasn't great for me because of the fact of I wasn't healing from my training so it was also slowing me down so yeah. I wasn't recovering from my next squat session for instance because I was doing a lot of kind of walking which was walking uphill or any sort of walking really um which was making my my hips tight and my hip flexors um which was actually preventing for my glutes from firing properly on my left side so um yeah I mean it's such an individual thing um but also it was great for me to walk because of psychologically being in a lockdown when you were a personal trainer and you can't work. Um, obviously my people that I coach online, they had no equipment um, and I pretty much lost 90% of the team. Um, so walking was something like an outlet for me. Um, and it was absolutely great. And um, I I kind of would prefer the walking 10 K than the kind of recovering because I felt like I needed to walk that 10 K. Hmm. But now I've reduced that because I don't need the output. I'm in a lot better mindset and also the fact of, you know, it's beneficial for me to actually heal. But at the time as well, my, my calories were super high. I mean, I took them up to 3,000 calories at 62 body weight, you know, like, so they were actually quite high. So the output was to kind of support my calories going up.
0: How did you get into powerlifting?
1: Um. Well, actually, um, I kind of used to enjoy bodybuilding in a gym I always wanted to get bigger um I mean I'm I'm not the tallest of people and uh I just used to enjoy powerlifting you know and uh, when I become a PT um well actually I used to work in a bank a long time ago um and then I took a a fitness job um and that was just what I wanted to do and then I qualified as a PT enjoyed working with people um and I just love training um and yeah just was super motivated to to train all the time my physique was getting better our confidence was growing um and i absolutely loved it and um throughout that time i kind of started deadlifting um doing some squats you know doing a bit of bench press and um yeah someone said to me in the gym he said um yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty strong, aren't you? And I said, yeah, not bad. Like people were kind of known me for being pretty strong for a small person, you know? And, um, so he said to me, Oh, I'd I'd compete in powerlifting, you know, you'd be surprised, have a look at the records and you know, what do you fancy it sort of thing? And I thought, you know what? Like I've always liked the thought of powerlifting, but never really done it. So I was like, right, let's give it a go. Um, so I'd done this first competition and it was locally, it was actually in Basildon in a gym in Basildon. And um, yeah, it went great, hit a few PBs, felt really good, thought, right, yeah, I'm really enjoying this. And um, it was really fortunate because I just kept winning. And um, I mean, this was in the British drug-free powerlifting, right? And um, I kept winning and I was getting better and it was really positive and I was loving it and kind of people knew me for powerlifting then. Um, But actually, at the time, when I look back, technically, I wasn't the best lifter um, and I would say if I knew what I knew now about lifting, I would have been a much better lifter. But um, I suppose you go into something new a little bit blind um, and you enjoy it and sometimes you can get carried away. Um, So over the years, I've adapted my positions, in fact, for all of my lifts. Um, And it's like the point of what we mentioned for squaliosis. Um, I mean, there was a competition that was actually in Belgium, um, which was, yeah, world championships. Um, I won the squat. But, I mean, you should have seen me coming out that. like I didn't have one leg. You know, it was, um, it was very one-sided. I had the hip shift going crazy. And, um, yeah, I think that was 2017. And I should have done something about it after then. Mm-hmm. Um, I changed the way that I squatted, but I didn't really pay as much attention to the hip shift because I just kind of thought, well, actually, you know, that's something that I've got to live with all the time. Whereas generally, I, I should have spent more time on single legged exercises, um, you know, looking at where I'm breaking down the weakness and, and strengthening that. Um, but yeah, over the years, I, I've changed a lot as a lifter. Um, and I think that that's what makes you grow into the lifter and the coach that you are. Um, because most things that I now coach into my lifters, I've done or had happened to me before. I mean, a lot of the lifters that I have complete novices, they've not competed before. Um, so obviously that's something that like water cups, first competition nerves, you know, the, the comp spec lifts, what, how it's going to be um, with the judges, giving them, um, you know, commands. So there's a lot of things that kind of me doing it for myself that have learned to, to make me a better coach um, and also what not to do. Do you know? I mean, sometimes yeah. I think that you learn better when you fail at something.
0: Absolutely. Failure is the road to success, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting um, how from where I was before and how I used to squat and, and bench. Um, deadlift's similar, but um, the other two are completely different. And it's like you adapt to the rules um, because you can. You know, in in powerlifting, I mean, I used to walk three or four, no, two, two to three meters out of the rack when I was squatting, and I used to squat after the grass, you know, like an ollie lifter. And um, for powerlifting, you don't need to do that as long as your hips lower than the knee, uh, or shall I say, the hip crease is lower than the knee. Um, then you're fine for your squat. You've hit depth, you know. Um, so for me it was like actually i was wasting uh, so much energy probably making myself work so much harder Um, and also for the bench press as well i was such a a narrow grip presser so the bar was traveling so much distance and as you've probably seen in powerlifting you can actually arch um, as long as your upper back and your hips are on the bench you can arch um, and it's allowed so to for the bar to travel less distance is actually an advantage because you lift more kilos, right?
0: I wanted to ask you about that because I regularly see pictures of lifters, um, you know, on the bench with with that big back arch, and um, you know, I I have no powerlifting background or experience whatsoever. Um, but I always remember people saying like, "Don't do that in the gym because you're putting more pressure on you on your spine." Like, is is that a dangerous position to be in?
1: It's not, but. Hopefully the person doing it has been educated on on how and why. Um, I mean, you do see people that are in the gym and they're like, okay, cool, you can bench this, that, whatever, like, you know, bending your back, I'm going to try that. Um, and that's where it can become um, a little bit of a risk because they're not used to putting their spine in them positions. And obviously they're loading themselves with weight. Um, so to actually arch, there is a lot of art to it. And basically what you're doing is bringing your scapulars um, back and down to, to actually stabilise the shoulder while you're bench pressing more weight. So you're using the upper back and the lats um, as kind of stabiliser muscles mm. um, to, to keep them scapulars fixed while you're going through the press. Uh, I mean, depending on the grip is dependent on where they're going to get the most strength. Some people might get a little bit more power from a closer grip. Um, If their triceps are stronger or they might bring them out wider if their pecs are stronger. So, I mean, it's such an individual thing, but um, generally it takes quite a long time to build the flexibility uh, in the spine as well. So a lot of powerlifters do do upper back um, spinal mobility exercises to improve the arch. Um, So it's actually the thoracic part of the spine, um, which they mobilize Um, and, there isn't any rules right now, um, to how much you can arch. So, some of the ladies, in fact, um, generally they're more flexible than us men, um, but there are men out there that can do it. Um, but they look like they're literally in half, you know, mm. and the bar moves like an inch, but it's allowed, mm. you know, and they're putting their shoulders in a position, um, where sorry, should I say, they're putting their back and their body in a position where their shoulders are, are, are going to be as stable as they can to hold that load. You know, I mean, we're talking of, say, women at the the, the lower weight classes of, like, 52 kilos, benching 100 kilos, you know, if not more, um, which is um un- unbelievable, you know, but you couldn't just walk into the gym and adapt this arch position and for it to work. There's a lot of science behind it accessory exercises obviously hard work because you need stability in that joint otherwise you're just going to bust your shoulder
0: yeah so talk talk me through like um a training cycle and how you would prepare say how how many big meets will you have put on in a normal year how many big competitions will you have
1: ideally uh probably about three um Mm -hmm. but in my first kind of one, two years, I probably done more so four or five because I just loved powerlifting, loved getting on on the platform. I was in a little bit of a rush, let's say, because yeah. there was medals that I could pick up. So it was like, you know, you've got to go because you can win that. But looking back, if I didn't go to every comp, I probably would have performed better at the three that I should have done rather than the five that i done, you know, with more rest. And, and you actually get better off the platform, obviously, when you're training um so yeah an example would be um you would have say um an off season Uh, you would pretty much work on your weaknesses so you would probably up the rep ranges um add in more accessory work so it might be that you wanted to add a bit bit more mass um say an example would be on your chest you might do a little bit of a hypertrophy block and then you would kind of um obviously look at how you react and depend on what time you had before competition um, to actually put you into a a position where you're kind of preparatory block of getting you ready for the competition. So you would dial in the reps, drop off the volume a little bit, um, and then you'd head on to kind of like a main peaking block, which will be high in numbers. um, More so kind of practicing doubles and singles, regulating your body with more frequency rather than volume. um, And then you would taper off So then you get that kind of extra peak that you've come just back out. So you kind of peak up and you can expect anything from kind of four or 5% after a deload on on a performance um, Mm. to peak for a competition. But it's a very individual thing because it depends where you break down to what you have to work on. Um, And I find that generally people would put more numbers, um, let's say more kilos on their lifts for for lifts like um, the squat and the deadlift. Um, a lot of people don't actually like bench press. It, it's kind of like a, a, a powerlifter thing um, because everyone can lift pretty heavy with the squat and, and the deadlift, but the, they shy away a little bit from the bench and bench is probably the most technical exercise. Um, because you can kind of muscle through a deadlift and a squat, you know, even if you get in a little bit of trouble or you step out of line or the bar paths off a little bit, you can kind of muscle through it, you know? Um, but with the bench press, if you're kind of 90% plus, um, it's very difficult once you lose your line to kind of get that rep back, um, or even relaxing with the bar on your chest, you need to keep tightness. So all the muscles are switched on. Um, so yeah, that, Bench is just not very forgiving, and, and people kind of don't really like it. But it's a place that you can you can pick up extra kilos, you know, for your total. Because if people don't like bench, okay, well, why don't we capital, capitalise on that and make our bench awesome? And then we've got more kilos for our total. So they they need a big, even bigger deadlift or squat than you because you've got a great bench.
0: Hmm. So, like a, an ideal scenario, how how would you start tuning up? How far out from the competition? Is it like 12 weeks plus
1: or anything from 12 weeks? um, I mean, more so eight, nine weeks uh, would be a, a good position to kind of start bringing yourself back in. And it depends how far out you are. I mean, you could be lifting, but actually have no comp spec lifts. Um, actually in your program so you know you need to make it more comp specific dial them in um, make sure that you're in tune with your technique again that the the actual other exercises are have made a difference or, or made you a better lifter from where you was breaking down before um and it, it depends on the lifter as well i mean it's a individual thing um you can find some lifters will perform better um at say 80 percent of their Um, One rep max, Um, some people you have to push a little bit harder, kind of 90% plus. Um, And yeah, everyone just reacts different. And you learn comp after comp about how you perform um, and how your body works and what you're reactive to. Um, I mean, for me, something like an overhead press um, is really, really reactive for for women, for bench press. Um, But for others... For some people, it works really well. For some people, it doesn't. Um, But you'll find that predominantly um, women don't have much upper body strength um, because they don't lift, right? So it's like, actually, let's incorporate that in their block. If we're building stronger shoulders, that's going to be an advantage to to our bench press. Um, So for me, that's something that I do program in for my lighter lady lifters because they're reasonably reactive to it. Um, so that's also things that you need to factor in of like, what do they react to and what, what do they enjoy doing at the same time? I mean, you can program a lifter, um, an exercise and they might not enjoy it, but they need it. So sometimes you have to give them a variation that they like that does a similar job because if they're not enjoying the process, are they going to do it? They'll probably say, Oh yeah, coach, I've done that. And I'm like, okay, can you video it for me? And it's like week six, you know? And they're like, "Uh, I'm not sure how to do them. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's got to work for everyone. Um, But, yeah, I mean, comp days are absolutely great. And when we make it to comp days, um, I prefer coaching and the way – I get more out of coaching, actually, and my lifters doing well than do my own lifting. Um, and i'm incredibly passionate and um yeah it's just a such a great day and i really look forward to comps coming up
0: so you're in your cycle and you touched on it but i want i want you to elaborate really because there'll be people listening like not understanding the terminology and and uh, i've done a powerlifting cycle uh, just for my back squat a couple of years back and i was really skeptical about the deload part of it um I forget the exact cycle, but it was like every four or five weeks there was a deload, like at around 50% weight mark. And I remember thinking like, ah, oh, I, 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 I really didn't want to do it. Like I was almost sort of petrified that I was going to lose everything that I was working on. And mm-hmm. I could feel the strength coming on. I felt, you know, when you, your lifts just feel solid and everything feels you're set and you're good. And the bar is moving smooth and like everything's working. And, I remember doing, like, the first load program. I was like, is that it? Like, I've, li- I've literally been here for about 10, 15 minutes. and That yeah. includes <laughs> a long warm-up. And I, and I was just like, fuck it. Let's, let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. And I was amazed, like, just by dropping that weight back by 50%, which was, you know, like, what I'd consider warm-up weights, um, and then going back to it, like, just how refreshed – and how much it give you like a like it sort of ignited the fire and give you a little kickstart mm-hmm. for, for the next cycle um, and then doing it before like the the sort of testing week again it was just like uh I mean your body gets quite beat up anyway right so you kind of look forward to it and you enjoy it coming along um, but I was just amazed how well for someone who'd never really done much deloading stuff you now how how better I performed um yeah, by, by doing that. So break it down for us, Ben. How, how does that actually work and help an athlete?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's such an individual thing as well, because, I mean, obviously, lifters can, can actually tolerate different amounts of volumes. Uh, I mean, it matters on the size of the individual. Um, it matters on the sex of the individual. Um, so, I mean, you'll find that some lifters actually get, say, beaten up, Um a lot quicker or fatigued um, from volume work um, than others. So that's something that you learn working with somebody. um, And it's like, you need to look for the signs of, you know, where, where their lifts are dipping or, or they're kind of fatiguing in their lifts. Um, I mean, number wise, it can be quite obvious, um, but how they're moving, you know, and even how they're, how they feel. So working quite closely with an athlete is really important to get that feedback. Um, But generally, I would program, um, a, say a deload. If, if it's like a, a block probably every four weeks, um, and you're roundabout, right. It would be probably 50% volume. Um, or you'd take one whole set away from them. Um, just to ensure that they don't reach that position where they're pushing too much because it can take two, three, even longer weeks, um, to actually bring them back out where they're, they've kind of gone into an overtrained state, you know, where they're asking so much of their body um that they are generally fatigued. And sometimes that won't show straight away. So what happened to you there? Yeah, I mean you could have pushed that one week and then been in a position where you're fatigued for two, three weeks. So yeah. it's kind of like we're pushing hard, holding back a little bit, letting our body recuperate, um, and then getting ready to push again. I mean on new programs Generally, the first week, um, I like to introduce them to a new block. There could be new exercises. If not, there's another opportunity for them to actually focus on execution rather than actually what weights on the bar. Let their body sit back a little bit before we're going to start pushing really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, leading up to competitions, if we accumulate too much fatigue and we don't deload correctly, then we could carry that into competition. And then we're not going to actually activate um, the most motor units in the muscle. Our central nervous system is going to be fatigued. So the performance will be affected. So, I mean, it's something that you generally um, follow as a rule of thumb, um, but it depends on the lifter and how they're moving. Um, I mean, sometimes I've put in a little bit of an emergency deload or I've actually taken an athlete from one program to the next um, because something isn't working for them or they're not responding. And I think that sometimes people fear doing that, but it's like, actually, if something's not working for you and you don't feel good doing it, then it's only going to make you worse. If you do another two weeks of that, that's not waste time, you know? Um, So yeah, it's, um, it depends on a lot of factors. And when I generally coach people that are new to powerlifting, um, I find that they actually don't fuel their workouts enough So they get fatigued really, really quick. And obviously their recovery is hindered, right? Because they're eating low protein. They haven't got enough carbohydrates. Their fats are a little bit lower. Um, And it's like, okay, well, are you eating enough? And they're like, yeah, I'm eating enough, coach. And I'm like, okay, can you just track a few days for me? Because, you know, uh, there's something missing. Mm. Um, And it's like, okay, so, you know, you've you've got back to me and and you're eating, say, 1,300 calories, but we're training for powerlifting and you're in a volume block, like, and you're working all day and you're standing on your feet 10 hours, like <laughs> you're trying to break down muscle. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's so many factors, um, and it's such an individual thing. Um, but generally we do follow prin- principles of say me deloading a uh, someone that's com- going to compete or, or training for powerlifting say every four weeks.
0: That's a, that's a subject that I, I found fascinating from speaking with someone else, but and I know everyone's different, but what would you say is like the the general impact on the central nervous system from a competition day? So like a day when you're trying to go for one RM in all three lifts, how, how long realistically would you say it takes your body to recover?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, most of my athletes and myself, we actually... Um, I program in like an SBD day, which is a squat bench deadlift, right? But it's going to be sub-maximal. So um, they don't feel that fatigued on program. But when it comes to comp day and you're really set up and you've got your adrenaline, you're buzzing and everything's going into that lift, right? Like even coaching, I'm absolutely knackered, right? Because I'm running around like a headless chicken with numbers in my hand and this, that, whatever, you know? And um, I'm so buzzed that I use all this energy that I don't even realize. But actually competing and lifting... Um, I mean, the week after, I normally rest till, say, a Thursday. Um, and I would only do, say, three by three um, on something like a a squat and a, a bench, which will be at, like, 70%. Um, but generally, I, I would rest until then. Mm. And I'm telling you, that three by three at 70% feels like 95%. It's unbelievable, right? So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a lot more fatiguing than you would think because of the fact that you or an athlete's done SPD in their training, you know, but you've got to remember you're, you're maxing. Um, so you're using every motor unit that you possibly have. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, your receptor, all this communication and, and messages are being sent from your muscle to your brain um, and mentally as well, you know, you're, it's like you're approaching a weight that you've never lifted before. So psychologically, you're already in a state of um, either adrenaline or you have a little bit of fear instilled before you're going to lift up that deadlift and you haven't even got to it yet.
0: Well, the, um, I was listening to someone earlier and they were saying fear is excreted from the... Um, what's the, what's the gl- gland that controls all that? Your adrenals. Yeah. Um, so basically, like, there's, there's a term that gets chucked around a lot, um, like adrenal fatigue. Some people will, like, say it's a load of bollocks, and some people say, no, there is, there is genuine sort of levels of adrenal fatigue. But, like, I can just imagine, like, the whole build up. And, and my, the only way I can sort of think or relate to it was, like, when I used to box, when I used to spar. So like the you could be like a world champion on the bags outside the ring, but as soon as you step in the ring and you've got someone swinging trying to take your head off, like that adrenaline kicking in, it felt like your fitness just was like fifty percent slashed in half. Um, so like I can I can understand you know what what comp day must feel like, especially if you've gone through like quite a big cut, um, and then you've got just general nerves, just because, you know, like, you know, nerves are not a bad thing. N- nerves are good. Like, I, I think they feel, um, you know, get you in that sort of almost like a hyper state, you know, like a, almost like you're being hunted again, you know, you're switching mm. on uh, all those different sort of chemical reactions and like that, that fear emotion, which is, which is good to some point, you know, some people can have too much fear and they, they sort of just, quiver up and lie in a corner and and can't deal with it but yeah i'm just i was just gobsmacked when someone said like your powerlifters only really do three sort of big lifts a year because of the effect that it has on the central nervous system and the body and obviously like you you don't want to be breaking yourself down because one you'll either get ill or injured and and like you won't be able to train and that will fuck with like your whole sort of strength block cycles
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the longer you spend on the platform, the longer you're away from actually making gains at the gym, you -hmm. know? So it's like, we can't keep you in that, in that block where we're making a lot of gains because we're going to have to peak you soon. Whereas we could have worked a little bit more on, you know, some lat thickness, you can pull a, a, a bigger deadlift and Mm -hmm. then, you know, turn that lat thickness into, um, more of a neurological, um, recruitment, you know, coming over to explosive power. And it's, um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting of what you said there as well about getting on the platform because um, I mean, there's competitions that you're probably competing in front of about 50 people, but some of the competitions are, are, are live videoed um so i mean i often would share my link and people would would zoom in and then throughout the whole comp they're texting me oh you're in the lead this that whatever or you know or what happened there and and um so you have yeah factors that you kind of can oversee as well and where i coach new powerlifters um a few of them have actually gone on the platform and you'd be really surprised because um you know they're really outgoing characters and and when they get on the platform Honestly, you know, you've got these people looking at you and you've got this weight on your back and, yeah. and, and they've just they've just disappeared, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, that's happened beforehand and it's like um, this this lifter actually, she kind of forgot about her technique. Yeah. Um, so when you're trying to lift, obviously, your maximum weight, technique is going to be key and, and you need to kind of think about getting tight and your movement pattern and, and, and what actually muscles you're activating while you're moving. And if you forget that, then it's going to turn into a real backy squat or backy deadlift or whatnot. Um, so, you know, it's getting used to being in front of people. And I think that that comes with experience. And although I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend people from competing more than three times a year. Um, I would say for beginners, Anything from three to five is going to be ideal because they need experience, Jay. And you've got to remember here that they're at a position where they're, they're beginners and they're not intermediates. And when they become advanced, then competitions are going to be a little bit tougher on the body because they're going to be high end lifters. Mm. You know, so um, although you could argue that they're kind of conditioned for it. But but still you know, they're still lifting a lot more kilos. Their body's probably not adapting as well as as the beginners because it's new to them. You know, it's like when you're fresh and you're, you're new to something. Um, I suppose that phrase comes from, like, beginner gains. You know, yeah. you adjust quickly. Your body kind of learns how to do something. It starts recruiting muscle in this area. Um, you're learning techniques. So it's, you know, it's getting better and better and better. And you can grow a lot in kind of your first year or two years in terms of powerlifting but when you're a matured lifter and you're lifting kind of four five six years it's difficult to put that extra two and a half that five kilo on your bench press or your deadlift um Mm. and it's like we need longer off the platform to to make things and when we get on the platform it's normally a little bit less forgiving because it's more high-end lifting
0: it's, uh, it, it sounds so, like, counterproductive, doesn't it, to, to take more time off to, to get better. Like, um, I, I'll, for a very long time, was, like, more is better, more is better. Um, and then, you know, I burnt out. Like, coming from um, it's strength and conditioning, right, but it's, it's labelled as CrossFit, what I, was done, what I was doing was, like, CrossFit training, uh, like, competition, CrossFit training. And I got caught in this little rut where i was like almost trying to max every single day and then i was just waking up trashed just like absolutely just no energy no life fueling myself off of caffeine to sort of spike back up to get into some sort of like uh, fake
1: sort of stat. yeah 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 um, chasing the numbers right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it happens all the time um especially if, with with uh, new lifters and do you know what it's like sometimes you try to have control over that, but sometimes people have just got to learn for themselves. Um, mm. I mean, my team would tell you, you know, like I'd say to some of them about numbers, this, that, whatever, and, and they would be overshooting, which is where you push a little bit too much more than you should. And it's mm. like, if you generally overshoot, you're going to get fatigued or, or, or get injured. Um, and it's like similar to kind of, you know, what you was doing, always pushing, pushing, pushing. And it's like, actually, like, if we back off a little bit, breathe a little bit, um, then we should be able to push again. And it's like, I mean, some people say life's like a a marathon, right? Um, Whereas for me, I believe that life's actually a a series of sprints because you you sprint, you work hard, you recover, and then you can sprint again Mm. um, rather than kind of constantly pushing, pushing, pushing. And yeah, pushing can obviously lead to getting burnt out. But novice lifters, because they get, beginner gains they think that they can just push 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 but um they actually learn off of each other um and and sometimes learn not what to do off of someone else um i know that that's not the best way but sometimes you can't put say like a an old head on young shoulders or an experienced head on on someone that's new to something you know they get excited we've all been there even myself and you want to push 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 and you're enjoying the process but if you want longevity in anything, especially something like powerlifting, which is, yeah, very, very difficult on your body, um, then you need to be lifting technically sound and, and make sure that you're not pushing all the time because that can have an effect on other areas of your life. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a family person, um, you need to have, you know, energy for, for, for your family. You need to feel good. You don't want mood fluctuations. There's so many factors that can be affected by just your training. And also as well, if you're disappointing yourself with training, you're not going to walk around the house with a massive smile on your face, are you? You know, like, especially if you're passionate. I mean, training means a lot to me. And it's like, I know that if I, if I don't lift well or something isn't moved well, that I know that I'm not in the best of moods, but I then kind of give myself reasonings why it didn't move and, and why that happened. And, and then I'm at peace with why it's happened because I've actually looked into what's happened and, and what didn't go right and and what I could change and how I can grow from that situation.
0: Do you ever have training sessions, Ben, where like it, it just doesn't feel right from uh, you? Because yeah. I, I had one of them tonight and I've done probably fueled because I was coming on to chat to you. I decided to do just a total barbell strength piece. I've done deadlift and back squat. And from the second I picked up the bar for my back squat, um, I just didn't feel like my setup was good. It didn't, feel, it didn't feel like it was flowing right. Like even my right foot was slightly sort of moving out of jar. And I was just in, in the back of my head, like it was niggling away at me. Like this is just not going to happen tonight. And mm-hmm. I got through where I wanted to get through. But it just, like you said, like it was a bit of a shit session. Now, I'll deal with it because I'll just like, it, it was better than nothing. And I'm, I know the reason why it wasn't as great as what it wanted to be, because my strengths sort of been neglected for the past few weeks because of this Goggins running challenge we done a few weeks ago and still mm-hmm. sort of over, over that and sort of not doing too much strength really around that period. Um, but look, you know, take it with a pinch of salt and you move on. But so how do you deal with those sort of off days or bad days? Like, will you change your plan? Will you, will you, what, what will you do?
1: Yeah. So, um, for instance, like it was, it was actually yesterday. Um, I had a bench session. Fortunately, I've, I've got some equipment to train. Um, and it didn't feel that bad, but I had, I expected it to move better. Um, but, So basically after bench didn't feel that great, I kind of stepped away and I was thinking, well, actually, you know, you're actually on a little bit of a deficit where you are, you're 700 calories down to where you was, you know, uh, eight weeks ago. Um, And it's like, you've done a massive program that had a lot of volume and, you know, you're three weeks in, you're probably still carrying a little bit of fatigue because this program was, was something special. You know, I was benching five times a week and I, um, sorry, four times a week. And I, I don't often bench four times a week. You know, when I was pushing, all of the sessions were minimum 100 kilos. Mm -hmm. It's very fatiguing. Um, I mean, great aesthetically. I think that I I built a little bit of muscle, but obviously with kind of a bit of a powerlifting stimulus. Um, And I was expecting quite a good carryover into this next block. Once I had a little bit of a deload and I started off a little bit lighter. Um, Anyway, week three and I thought, what's going on here? I'm not feeling great today. You know, I should be feeling good. Woke up and I was... 61.1 61.1 and um you know i had a, a, a 0.5 drop off and i thought right yeah feeling lean now, feeling great right let's go kill it and then um it just wasn't moving very well so anyway when i was thinking about it i thought right well actually you're on 200 grams of carbs you was on 350 um you know the endurance on your session is not great right now so what i mean by that is actually by the second set of heavy bench i was a bit fatigued which is very unusual for me so Um, when I actually looked at what I'd eaten in the morning, I probably had only had 60 grams of carbs before my session. And as I mentioned to you earlier, where I'm used to taking on quite a lot of carbs, Mm -hmm. um, it was like, actually my body's probably already utilized, um, most of them carbohydrates. So, um, you don't really have much energy available. And if you're used to burning carbs quickly, guess what you've done? You've burnt carbs quickly. <laughs> um, so not saying that that was everything. I mean, I think that I'm still carrying a bit of fatigue, but I'm on a deficit, right? And it's like people expect to hit PBs um, a lot of the time when they're they're coming up to something like a, a peaking for a heavy bench or whatnot. And it's like, actually, there's some justification behind why we haven't, because we might have missed out a few factors. One being for me that I'm on lower calories. I'm not on such a... a, a low calories that i shouldn't bench well but it would explain why i'm maybe a little bit behind where i thought i was um also as well with a self handout it's incredibly difficult and i mean the weight on the bar was actually uh, 122.5 um and even getting that out is quite fatiguing, you know because you have to overreach and bring it over your body so you're holding the bar for a little bit more of a longer time um and the fact that you are generally on your own so if you miss the rep, you're getting stuck under the bar, but you've got the safeties. Um, But, um, yeah, so I kind of like to look at, address quite a few different things. Um, Positionally, I I video uh, my lifts, so I I can look at what went wrong or my elbow positioning or, you know, if I lifted my chest up to the bar um, whilst I was benching. Um, There could be so many different factors, but I like to understand why before I kind of leave the gym. You know, so I'll sit there while I'm resting to do something else and think, right, okay, well, why didn't that go well? You're expecting this, this, and this, Um, but that's exactly it. I'm expecting, yeah? So it's like I've put an expectation to my body. Doesn't mean that it's going to be there. So why am I being disappointed? In actual fact, I walked out and thought, do you know what? 122 moved okay. There was more in there for a single. Might not be the PB that I wanted top end in like two weeks might not be there but the last time I took 122 I was 66 kilos so actually Ben you're being incredibly hard on yourself you're achieving you know basically PB weight at four five kilos lighter body weight plus you're on lower calories so I, I kind of thought to myself well once I have a bit of a refeed you know take down my volume a little bit be cautious get a handout when gym's open, Wash, you know there's your number so um i kind of was still excited with my theory that i'd I'd kind of solved what was going on and that's not always going to be the case i mean for you it might have been okay actually you know i'm I'm a bit fatigued i'm a bit tired haven't got long to mobilize or or activate muscles or actually no i'm just feeling tired today because we can't be at our best every day Mm. and it's like actually them days jay sometimes we just need to be okay, I'm going to go 10% lighter and focus on how it moves rather than what the weight is. And I always try and coach this in my lifters because look, we can't be a hundred percent strong every day. Yeah. There's so many limiting factors. I mean, obviously sleep being the most important food, you know, hormones. Um, there's, there's just so many things out there and it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm expecting to live that. Um, but Actually, I haven't slept for three days or not very well, or I've got an exam at work that's really stressing me out, and you know, or just skipping a meal. Mm. I like to eat just before I train, and I, I often have like a, a Kellogg's Rice Krispie um, or a squares bar, you know, the squares bars. Yeah. Um, literally, just that, like you know, five, 10 minutes while I'm warming up. And I had it before I left the house. And by the time I actually got there, I had to do a few errands on the way, I hadn't eaten for probably 40 minutes. So also there was that that I kind of neglected, you know, I have a little packet of Haribo, 10 grams. um, But I mean, that's nothing, is it? (laughs) I mean, that's probably like 17 grams of sugars right there. But like, um, yeah, I don't think that that was enough for me on that day. Um, It's not always going to make sense, Mm. but it's not always going to have to, you know, it's like, why are we pressing ourselves to have an explanation for everything? Um, We can make our own justification and make sure we're at peace with it. Otherwise, you're going to use more energy, stressing yourself out on why, why it didn't go well. Yeah. And then you might change your actions. You know, you might, Oh, actually, you know, my carbs are too high. Um, I'm feeling a little bit bloated or it could be, Oh, they're not high enough. And then I'm going to add in too many carbs. Um, whereas actually it might not even be related to that, to to the carbs. You know, if Mm. I was somebody else, obviously I know my body better. Um, so I'm quite sure that it would be related to that food. Um, but yeah, there's so many different things. It's
0: it's so funny isn't it. Like food is, um, you know, people will have this argument that you can train fasted and PR if you if your glycogen's fully replenished and you've got had enough in you the day before. Um, you now I remember back in my bodybuilding days, it was like a Friday afternoon would have been the fourth day of training that week, and it was like a, it was like quite an intense bench sort work out and I just remember just sort of being at the end of the bench with the dumbbells on my fires thinking I'm fucked like I just feel gone like I was in like I was in a boxing ring in in the corner slouched up against the ropes and I said to my friend I went wait here when I've got a couple of bananas in the car like I've just got to get something inside yeah. me I literally ate two bananas and within like less than five minutes I just felt like I had this massive rush of like like, just whether it was psychological having something inside me or yeah, just, yeah. like, the my body just sucking up the, the fructose from the banana. And I was like, right, here we go. And, and I just jumped back in. And like like you saying, like, the difference between it being 10 minutes before or 40 minutes before, uh, like, your body gets used to... Um, Definitely.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Ready, available carbs, right? And yeah. It's like, if we're used to having them ready, available, like, if we haven't got that right now, like we're not prepared for that. And you know what? Exactly the same thing happened. So what you just said there, right, that was the situation. After the gym, Like I was like, I'm feeling really fatigued, right? And these calories are not doing me any good, right? Being on 2,300, which is not actually so, so low, but the lowest part of this car um, mm. because I'm going to be taking them back up. Um, but anyway, so I come home, cooked some chicken and some rice, smashed it, absolutely obliterated it, right? And then I thought, nah, this ain't enough. Got a bagel out, Smashed the bagel as well. Um, I think I had peanut butter on that, right? That just went down literally in ten minutes, right? And I sat down and I thought, I feel like I've been hit by the bus. Like I'm really feeling these calories, right? And mm-hmm. this is only the first week on on two thousand three hundred calories. Um, and I was like, right, I don't normally feel this fatigue. So there was a massive correlation to my performance in the gym to how I felt after. Mm-hmm. Um, hence why I was like, okay, well, this is related to food. Um, but on the flip side of that. Because of that happened, I'm going to take my calories up to 2.5, come on Sunday, um, which are going to be mostly carbs, and hopefully be able to maintain the same body weight.
0: So this um, is a subject that I want to dive into, because rest and recovery Mm and recuperation, because you're obviously putting your body through large amounts of stress, especially when you're going through like getting close to peaking for competition you're going through all your cycles how many times are you training a week when you're in that mode
1: so at the moment i'm currently training four times a week uh, the last block was five times a week um and because of obviously covid and lockdown um fortunately i could train but that was the only thing i could do so it was obviously good for my mind as well um and obviously my calories were higher so i could kind of allow that um although that doesn't mean that my recovery is going to be better at all um, because I wasn't sleeping very well Um, hence why I think that I'm carrying more fatigue into this um, new block because of how difficult that block was but because of the time you know it suited Um, so actually in terms of recovery I like to run a four day that really works for me Um, but coming back to the gyms because I I personally train roughly kind of six to eight clients a day as well Um, so I've got you know, I'm on my feet all them hours, I'm then writing programs, I've got check-in with online clients, um, so it's actually like taking all that into consideration, I'm going to be having reasonably early mornings late nights, I'm on my feet all day, calories will definitely be going up, but the recovery is something that I will probably struggle with, so therefore, coming up to this summer um, it's likely that I'll go down to a free day, just because I'll get better quality sessions out of my three days with extra recovery rather than trying to just burn the candle at both ends and, and you know, work hard and, and, and train myself into the ground. And as well, being a PT and a coach, it's like you need to ensure that you're positive and, and you have, um, say, power. You know, and what I mean by power is like, you know, you're passionate and you're still enjoying what you do because that has a massive influence on someone's hour workout. You know, I mean, I often have clients and they've had, you know, shitty days and they've walked in and I'm like, hi, how are you? You know, get to know how their day's been. And I like to spend the first five minutes, not because I, I want them to warm up. Like that's part of the factor. But like, you know, we're having a chat at the same time, finding out about their day, about how I can push their buttons to get the most out of them. You know, mm. and I know what exercises they like. So, therefore, if I can put a smile on their face within the first five minutes of them working hard, um, then, you know, we're going to be having a winner session and they'll probably forget about what's going on in the day rather than spend 60 minutes mo- moaning about their day. So, mm. like, there's really important factors that you have to take into kind of consideration of, of working with individuals, of, um, you know, their recovery as well and what's going on in their life. But um, that's just something that I find really vital um but yeah i think that i am a bit of a social bunny as well i don't think I, i like to go out and enjoy myself um and that's something as well that i probably could have done more or less sorry could have done less of um in the time of competing over the years um i mean if it's kind of three four weeks out generally don't have a drink but in the actual blocks of, of work that I've done leading up to competitions, um, I've kind of allowed it because my weight's been okay. Um, whereas if you want to be at the top of your game, that's something that I think you have to look at. And I think there's a relationship between if you want to be an athlete, you have to live like an athlete. Um, otherwise, you're only going to be pushing so far, so to speak. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, um, it's, the, it's the basics done well all of the time, isn't it?
1: exactly exactly and it's if you're not uh, adhering to the basics then um you know you can blame it on other factors like you say oh, i'm tired i'm gonna have a pre-workout which is yes yeah, it's, it's, it's gonna peak you up make you feel better but you're eventually gonna get used to it but you're actually kind of replacing your your body's telling you that you're tired and you're replacing that with a, a little bit of caffeine and just pushing through it and probably pushing yourself further into the hole. Mm. Where, where one day you can't get out of it. I mean, you know, there has been situations of, of people where they've trained not so much un, under me or that, that I know of, but I've heard of, um, that have pushed so much and they've become, you know, dehydrated in a really bad way. Do you use caffeine yourself? I do. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I like the odd Monster every now and then, um, sugar-free, um, and, and for me, I don't see that there's really any problem with that. I know people say, oh, energy drinks are bad for you. Okay. Well, yeah, to a degree, if they're high and they've got 50 grams of sugar, you yeah, know. If
0: you're uh, down the day, then there's a problem, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. But if they're sugar free um, and um, if, if they've got a tiny bit of a spartan, tiny, tiny bit, I mean, if you look at the studies for a spartan, uh, you know, a monster is, is nowhere, nowhere near um so actually people saying that they're bad for you uh i only think that there's positivity that comes from them as long as you're not relying on them and that's the fact that you know you're getting off your ass and you're going to graft for what you actually want and some people need that bit of push you know and i'm all for it and i do take pre-workout um i try not to take it all the time sometimes i'll have a a lower caffeine week um just because of i don't want to be kind of over pushing all the time like just what we mentioned um but i think that it allows me to be more productive and i carry more energy into my sessions as well as my client sessions Uh, and again being a pt standing on your your feet for say eight hours a day you have to have energy it's like otherwise you're not going to get the most out of your clients and they don't want to be coming to someone that's fatigued and just sitting on machines and just you know like so um, it it kind of runs its purpose. And I think there's a relationship between kind of PTs and coaches and and having high amounts of caffeine. Um, I mean, on days of competitions for, for for me or my clients, um, I'm so buzzed, but I mean, the pre-workout just puts me in a completely different place, you know, although I have had it before where, um, I've, I've walked up to a deadlift and I've, you know, not feel it, not felt it, you know, like I've, I've had all this kind of caffeine and I've already had the burn from it from like say my squat or my bench that I'll have another bit and it just won't be as reactive. And it's if you're gonna deadlift your maximum weight, like you need to be up for that. And yeah. you've got to want it like never before, as you know, when you, you, you're working out. Um and I think sometimes that can happen. Um and if you're not ready for it, then it can catch you out and sometimes performance can be affected
0: are you able to mentally get yourself back in that state? Can you fire yourself up or is it just like like you say, the fatigue and the, maybe the tolerance of caffeine or where you've sort of overshot in the earlier rounds of the competition, are you just a little bit blown out or are you able to fight yourself back into that mode?
1: Over, over the years, I'm a little bit better now. Um, but I think that, generally you you attempt to because obviously you have an audience and and you really need this number um but it's incredibly tough to kind of dive into that extra bit of fire um I mean what hasn't helped is like I've mentioned I've been carrying like a bit of an injury to quite a few British championships so I've never been firing all cylinders anyway and I think psychologically that was at the back of my head as well Mm. um but I mean I'll be sitting out the back with the other lifters, headphones in, you know, trying to get a a bars and get in the zone on whatever song you're trying to listen to. Um, And it's like, okay, just focus on this. And then when you take them headphones off, you walk on that platform. And I try to actually sing the song in my head sometimes, you know, so that the rhythm's still going just to to kind of carry me to the bar. Um, But if you lose focus on that, you know, then – I think that that can have a big effect on on your pool or your performance on that platform. That bar ain't leaving the floor. Um, but it could be related to, to, to many things. Um, you know, you, you, your sugars, your energy, um, your mood. It, it could be something else putting you off.
0: What's it like backstage? Is there lots of sort of like ego jostling and like, you know, people keeping their cards close to their chest or people trying to sort of go around banging their chest and put other people off? Like, what, what's all the sort of games going
1: on like there? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, like, um, I was quite fortunate that um, over, I think, the last year and a half, um, might be a little bit longer, two years, um, I was very lucky that I actually had um, a very good coach myself. Um, so I won uh, a British championship for British drug-free powerlifting Um, And then I went to um, British powerlifting and I won my first title there. I was very, very lucky because uh, I was relying on the other guy um, who I was against at the time to to miss his deadlift. And luckily I pulled a PB and he missed, so I won by two and a half kilos. So that was a big deal for me because that federation is incredibly competitive. Um, That's where all kind of, you know, the the numbers are, so to speak. And that's where you get selected to, to be on the British team. Um, And anyway, so um, I see one of the coaches and um, I inquired uh, about coaching with him anyway. So um, I actually went over to to be coached by him and he's one of the the, the best. Um, And at the moment, I'm not currently having him as a coach um, because of lockdown I'm coaching myself obviously finances there's a lot of factors but one day it's, it's likely that I'll go back to him because sometimes if you share the responsibility it's better um and it's one less thing for you to worry about plus um because he's such a great coach and he has more experience than me um it's kind of like you're less likely to spend more time wasting time
2: mm-hmm.
1: and also um you know they coaches will will, will kind of create um programs on evidence-based um structure as you do learn from experience um plus his e- education is, is is far more in depth than mine and I've learned a lot from him so I think it's always good as well to have like a, a mentor um who's educating you upskilling you and and someone to obviously lean on and it's we got to the point where okay he would say that I was a technically proficient lifter um, but you know, there were still things that we could always tweak or still areas that we could strengthen, you know? So, um, and also as well, I'm trying to manage my clients and, and, you know, their coaching programs and, and help them to competition. So it's one less thing to worry about. And you have someone mm. that you trust. So like two eyes looking at all your training rather than just one.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and sometimes like you say, you know, like, um, I could be pushing myself too much, but not be aware of it. It could be a small factor that I'm I've missed out on something, and th- they could have seen that straight away or, or prevented you from going near that. So I think that there's massive um, advantages to having a coach anyway. So um, where was I going from that? Um, the competition. Um I don't What I was saying
0: yeah all this sort of bravado stuff going through. oh
1: yeah yeah so basically um yes yeah, so me and, me and my coach would rock up to competitions and um yeah you'd be doing your warm-ups and your com- competitors you're sometimes warming up on the same rack or the same bar for deadlifts and they're watching the speed of your squats they're looking at your last um uh, warm-ups they kind of know your number because you have to um give the judges Uh, or the refs, um, like your opener. Um, Sometimes you can change that before you actually go on the platform. So, yeah, there's um, – it's quiet, but there's a lot of eyes, you Mm. know. Um, So you kind of pretend to be friendly, but I'm (laughs) super competitive, right? And it's like – I know it's a really bad thing, but, uh, you know, there's nothing better than seeing your competitor miss a lift because you want to beat them, right? Mm. And, um, yeah, and it happens (laughs) and – Pardon?
0: It's a competition. You're there to
1: exactly, win. Exactly. You know, and and I'm there to win. Like not everyone's there to win. Some people are there to participate. But like, you know, I'm trying to win. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's why I'm pursuing, working so hard for my goal because that's really important to me that I win. If I don't win, well, well done to them because you know on the day they were better than me. And this is another reason why powerlifting is great over something like powerlifting because uh, sorry over something like bodybuilding because bodybuilding it's like you have judges looking at how you look right so it's their opinion on -hmm. how you look powerlifting okay if i'm stronger than that other guy i'm stronger than him Mm -hmm. you know and that's it i've won right i've earned it like because bodybuilders you know the audience could argue that someone that plays second looks better than someone that plays first but if the judges um number one is number one then you know tough um and it's like actually you don't know the relationship behind any of this either Mm. um and you do hear of it sometimes in a bodybuilding background not to say that it definitely goes on but you know people get friendly this that whatever they might have favorites um but in powerlifting you know that is the case as well um that's not the case sorry (laughs) um so yeah you have a stronger or you're not. not but we're all we're all kind of friends you know and 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 we have checked in a little bit, but coming up to comps, you kind of hide your numbers or don't talk about your numbers or don't post your numbers, you know, because they can be counted up Then plates you got on your bench fresh. You know, like, I can see how quickly that's moving. Like, even if you're on a, a you know, a bit of a deload or whatnot, or you're... Your block's full of volume. Like, you know, they can judge how it's moving and, and look at kind of how you're going and, and they can predict where you're going to come in. Not that it's going to change anything because you're still going to work your hardest for the goal, but mm-hmm. it can start playing mind games, you know. So, um yeah, it's, it's... um But I kind of enjoy that because that allows you to push a little bit harder, I think.
0: Yeah, it's all part of the experience, right? Yeah, yeah. I used to race jet skis and... Oh, um, wow. Like- I couldn't race until I was 16 because that was the minimum age. And, uh, i had been sort of racing with another guy, uh, who, who was racing at the time. And basically I just used to follow him because you get used to all that choppy water. Uh, yeah. and like he, he was a good racer. So I didn't, I didn't quite realize at the time how good he was and how much of experience it was for me to try and chase him down in training and always be like in his wake and he's in his rough sort of water. um, but then I remember before before my um, first race meeting, my dad bought me this T-shirt, and on the back of it, he said, second place is the first loser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, it, it was a great experience, but being, <laughs> being naturally competitive, like, in my first race, something happened on the start line, the jet, the jet ski stalled. Like, I was I was well, well last, like 100 metres behind everyone yeah. by the time I got first boy and i was like i was fuming and i got back in i was like threw my helmet down threw my uh buoyancy aid off and i was like fucking that was like and my dad was like he went you come third i was like what he went yeah you caught up with everyone half a lap and then after that i didn't lose a race like i won every single race and i remember like that's that's what i like so much about uh like CrossFit, because I come from, like, a team sport background, like football, rugby, all that sort of stuff through school. Like, that winning mentality, uh, that's that's what I needed from, like, that jet skiing, the competitive athlete going into CrossFit, was like, yeah, I'm competing against myself, but do you know what? Fuck all that bullshit. Like, I want to see my name at the top of the leaderboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it gets viewed of like sometimes quite poorly that being overly competitive is is a bad thing but um I'll, I'll relish it and i think it's great like i think there's so much more worse or negative things that you could be doing about you know wanting to compete as long as you're not going out there and like harming people or doing crazy shit to to sort of you know win like the russians sending their urine samples underneath the ground. Yeah.
1: oh wow did you watch that crazy <laughs> isn't it right Madness, absolutely yeah. madness, right? It's funny you should say that about the the the, 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 the person that comes second is the first to lose because <clears throat> I lost my last British uh, championship, which is really, really unfortunate because I, I was leading. Um, uh, our squat, basically we had the same squat. Um, I had a bad down squats because my warm-up, uh, sorry, my first attempt didn't move well because of this glute, and I thought, oh, it's going to be a bad day. We've got to take it easy. So we took it easy. And then we ended up with the same squat. So I was hoping to have five, another seven kilos on top of the squat that I finished with. But anyway, it is, it is what it is on the day, right? It's whatever you've got on that platform. Um, and then my bench, I actually took a British record, which was great. And he missed his last bench. So I was leading and it come down to deadlifts. And um, it was between me and one other guy, um, but there was another guy that generally, um, I think there was probably six, seven of us competing uh, at our weight category. And uh, there was this other guy that had this massive deadlift, right? And uh, he literally come out of nowhere, but he missed his lift. Otherwise he would have taken us all. But um, so I've come up for this deadlift and I knew that I'm not firing all cylinders. And this other guy as well, the one that was like, it was me and him battling. Uh, he literally weren't really on all cylinders either. It looked like he was having trouble. Um, and he took a I think it was like a 17 kilo jump on his deadlift right which is really unheard of normally kind of 7 to 10 kilo jumps on your lifts right to take the win and he locked it out and i was like shit man i've just lost mm-hmm. like i was uh, two two years british champion i thought yeah let's make it a hat trick but i weren't firing all cylinders so it, that was the most frustrating thing right because i couldn't put a big deadlift out there which training told me that i had because i'd injured myself in the squat because i wasn't firing properly because of something i could have fixed probably quite a while back yeah. anyway so i posted on instagram and um you know with a photo like saying congratulations um to so and so but firstly it was like you know for me it's the the second is like the first to lose and mm-hmm. i wasn't trying to take it away from him at all i was just disappointed in my performance and obviously i congratulated him and you know that is powerlifting it's like you can be the best person in the gym, but it's what you put on the platform. And yep. if you perform on the day, and you've got to be a skilled lifter to perform on the day. Otherwise, you could bomb on squats. You can miss death, depth on squats. You know, like I said, there's like minimal margins. And it's like, you know, he won. Well done. He's, he's a very good lifter. And do you know what? Like, it's okay to lose to him because he's a very good lifter. But I was just not fulfilled from my own performance, like we said before. You know, I actually PB'd my total when I hit a, a, a British record bench, which I still have. But it's like, actually, Ben, like you didn't fulfill yourself because the the performance overall wasn't what you actually trained for and what you could produce because of the, the injury that I was carrying that kind of just pops up every now and then, which is a little bit annoying, but we're going to fix that. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like, um not taking it away from him but yeah it was it was an awesome comp and um yeah that's why I do it i mean i absolutely love competing i can't wait to get back out there but i did promise myself that i'm not going to compete again until i can double all my maximum lifts so <laughs> yeah i mean that's in this injury is like that's not going to be within the next 3-4 months um i did have a nice stint of squat actually i hit 170 for 4 about 5 months ago everything was moving really well um, but my ql was talking to me and it was a bit like okay one day I went in there on the day I took the 170 didn't feel 100% took it like an idiot and uh yeah that that was it back to kind of square one it just QL was firing up all the time lost power in that glute hip flexors got tired your body just seizes up don't it you know yeah. try to protect itself so everything got super tight and that went out the window but um you know we're coming back
0: I've always suffered from like really tight hip flexors and uh I do wonder if it's sometimes that I'm only moving in in that sort of up and down plane of motion. Like yeah. There's Not enough um, sort of movement in in the lateral sort of planes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm in my 40th year, so I'm I'm creaking a little bit, you know. So I have to try and do every type of bit of rest and recovery I can, you know, whether that's sort of stretching every night before bed. Uh,
1: been
0: using
1: like this CBD oil and muscle rub. Uh, yeah. I have ice baths. I have hot baths. Oh, I've so seen I you them do- ice baths, mate. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> me, that, do you know what? Like talking about fear, you know, that's something that I absolutely can't stand. Like cold water for me. Yeah. It's, you planted a seed actually, right? Where I heard you talking about it on one of your podcasts and you were saying about, you know, creating this fear for it and how good you feel after, right? And, I'm going to do it, right? Like, I don't know if it's going to be in your one, <laughs> but I'm going to do it, right? And it's like, that's probably one of the things that I actually fear. I mean, I don't like heights, so jumping out of a plane is probably another thing. But um, yeah, I actually can't, can't stand um, cold water. I can't even do a 10-second cold shower, honestly. Like, I absolutely hate being cold.
0: You, you've got to trick your brain. So, like, I I personally think the showers are harder than the ice baths because the shower, like, to go into it straight cold is tough because you just build up all this fear anyway. To go from hot to cold is easier because you're heating and then the cooling's a little bit nice and you can try and tell yourself, I'm on a tropical beach, it's 100 degrees. (laughs) This is what I need. Oh, yeah, I need all this cold water. It's lovely. Um, But that... That ice bath, it's like, its you, you'll probably have experience from this yourself, but you can beat yourself going to a bar, doing a big lift, if you go, oh, this is like, this is PB time, or this is, like, mentally you can just check out before you even mm-hmm. put
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so, like, the longer I leave it, and there's, um, there's this sort of theory that I've been working on with, so anything that I don't want to do for the day, there's, there's a book called Eat the Frog, uh, which basically means whatever you don't want to do do first do first yeah great theory yep um so like that ice bath i know how good i'm going to feel after and like the range of emotions that i go through when i'm in it but still getting in it i'll pause when i'm above it just about to put my foot in and i'm like and but once you're in you control your breathing and you just go into like such a peaceful state of mind. Um, like if you've if you're overthinking shit or you got stresses outside of of whatever's going on in your life, you get in that cold water. You can't even remember your name, and like it it just acts as a total reset. Um, and like come round and get in the barrel. Like uh, <laughs> it's it such a it's such an epic feeling. And like watching someone go through it as well. You the first 30 seconds is just well 10 seconds is do what you want like hyperventilate whatever it is but then once you're in it and your shoulders are under that's when you just got to control your breathing close your eyes you get to the 30 second to a minute mark once you've done that without panicking like you'll be in there for 5 or 6 minutes and like that the feeling of what you get after is just like an electric bolt of caffeine but it's clean and you don't get the crash with it and you just feel like yeah like it i remember first time i ever went in an ice bath the guy made me put my forearms in it and i was thinking to myself how the fucking hell am i going to get my whole body in? It?
1: yeah yeah
0: the screams of pain through my forearm was like it, i was mentally checking out then and uh yeah like it's such a wicked feeling because we was we was we've got an innate system to protect our vital organs like the blood will rush here to protect you know your kidney your liver your your heart your lungs all the stuff that keeps you moving it's going to rush from your feet and your hands to to protect yourself and not only is it good flush from from like your whole blood system um like the euphoria of of coming out of it and doing it is just like um yeah, I wish I'd discovered it a long, long time ago. It's it's uh, it's wicked for mental health. It's wicked for physical health. It acts as a reset. And, uh, yeah, like that day, that afternoon after it, your body's like on on overdrive. So, like, it might be cold outside, but you're walking around in shortened T-shirts because your body's just like a furnace, you know? Um,
1: do it, mate. Do it. Because yeah. I, yeah, I think it's something that I have to, but... Um... Yeah, it's, it's always been uh, a fear of mine. But again, you know, life's all about overcoming fears, isn't it? So, um, I mean, what you just said there about caffeine, like, it sounds like I need it as a pre-workout. <laughs> I'll be like, pop round just before I go to the gym. <laughs> Buzzing.
0: Well, they say, um, obviously, like, you want to you wanna use it as a recovery tool. So yeah, yeah. Cold, cold is good for a short term. So say if you was doing, like, a multi-day event, um like if you i don't know if it's even possible but if you was to able to even try it on like a mock competition day and then say like you wanted to be fresh for your deadlift at the end to go and have an ice bath before that and you might you might not have to sit in it for five minutes you might just have to do two minutes just yeah. give your body that much of a shock to sort of uh you know, give it that quick fix, that quick recovery. And then you use heat post the competition to generate them heat shot proteins to get, to reduce that inflammation in the body, i.e. like a hot bath, or if you're lucky enough to have like a sauna at home, uh, use that protocol, like the hot and cold. um, But I was listening. Do you know Matt Fraser? Yeah. So the five times CrossFit guy, if he, if he's on a rest day, he'll finish on cold. So he'll do 15-minute sauna, cold bath. He'll do that yeah. four times over. If he's on a rest day, he'll finish on a cold bath. If he's got a training day the following day, he'll always finish on a sauna because he's saying that when you go into that coldness, like you'll have that natural tension in your muscles and you won't sort of fully relax. But obviously with the sauna, like where your body's heating and opening up and sweating, yeah, you'll be in that relaxed, passive state. Uh-huh. Um, it's worth it's worth trying. Sounds out.
1: like I'm missing a trick, don't it? I,
0: I think when you get when you get older, mate, like all these little one percent things, they really really add up. Yeah. And you've mm. got to like, if you if you want to train into your fifties and sixties, uh, you know, it's, it's something that you you have to really sort of consider and work into your routine because it saves you, you know, it, it stops you from getting injured and it keeps you it keeps you fresh. Um, On that note, what was I going to say to you? So, oh, speed work. Do you you break lifts down and do like just the centric phase or the eccentric phase of a lift?
1: Uh, Yes and no. Um, Sometimes off-season. I mean, going back to what we spoke earlier, um, predominantly most people would go through a little bit of a hypertrophy uh, hypertrophy block um, just to gain...
0: when you say hypertrophy, is that different for, for like... A Same patient? as
1: bodybuilding sort of training. Same as or bodybuilding. Like 12 reps plus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it depends because you can actually, um, you can still gain muscle with more volume. So like, for instance, if you're doing three times 12 reps, um, you might have, um, say, four sets of six or, you know, six sets of six instead of, um, which can accumulate the same amount of stress and response to something like a three sets of 12 yeah. um, obviously the weight would be lighter um, than kind of a dying for six reps but but generally it can have the same effect it's just disguised a little bit sometimes um, so yeah I mean you would you would aim to gain muscle um, and ideally you would accustom them to more so strength reps, so, yeah, if it was so much that you, you was in a position where you was doing sort of 10 reps, um, you would drop your reps down to kind of prepare the body a little bit for um, neurological aspects of lifting. So um, more like four, five, sixes, um, and then longer term, obviously bring yourself into triples, doubles, um, and one rep maxes. But it's like it depends where they're breaking down to, to where you would incorporate speed work um so yeah i mean speed work you can work with bands um obviously power work um is going to be key right because you need to learn how to apply force and and speed um at the same time and it's like okay well actually if we're generally strong but we can't apply it together then actually we're not going to be able to shift as much weight i mean something like a deadlift um obviously you need to find positioning and then you need to accelerate right off of the floor mm. um and it's like actually if you can't accelerate off the floor and you haven't got enough power off of the floor you're not going to get off the floor you might have enough strength from from lift to actually lock it out um and and the endurance of the lift but again there's a there's a kind of another side to it that you have to factor in of getting a lifter or someone that's powerlifting used to grinding through reps so it's like actually like you would think that a rep would take two to five seconds to complete, but it's like actually if it's a top end rep and it's like 95% plus of your, your one rep max, that might take you 10 seconds to lock out that rep. So are we actually um, used to grinding through reps? Do we have the endurance in kind of a, a scenario of, of max strength to actually lock that rep out or are we going to pull for five seconds and then fatigue? So um, yeah, there's it, it's so dependent on the individual lifter, but obviously them things you need to program in and, and band resistance work is great as well because you can use the bands to kind of power through weaknesses or actually create, um, more, more force. So you're therefore accelerating, um, in, in different parts of the lift. Um, you know, so you are quicker and you are working with speed. Um, so it's how the the lifter responds and, and where you program them. Um, I mean, something like, speed work would be done leading up to competition um but it's like are they reactive to that sort of speed work um, or are you best off leaving it out because when they're doing speed work they're actually not thinking of the application of the lift and and stimulating what muscle groups they should be using that their techniques breaking down so um it's quite complex when you get more high-end um but if you generally have a a lifter that's that's very very skilled i find that they're really really useful tools i mean some people prefer simplified versions of things it's like oh actually you know i've got these two bands. i'm I'm not quite sure how to set this up you can show them however many times but like they might not be confident doing that Mm. um and it's like if they're not okay actually is it you know counterproductive for me to give them um band that's working on speed rather than give them something that's a little bit more easier for them to understand and, and apply. So, um, yeah. Does that make sense? Did yeah. I like, cover that all?
0: Yeah, no. Look, I get it. it's, it's always individualised. I just wondered if um, like it was part of the sort of powerlifting world that you would work on, maybe uh, drilling down the weight, but just working on some explosive pulling speed. Um, so when, when you sort of went back to bringing the weights back up, you'd, you'd be, you know, obviously slower, but stronger from from the explosive work.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there, there's definitely a need for it. Um, it's just as and when and in what movement they actually need it and how they can apply it. Um, but yeah, I mean, without, without a doubt.
0: So when you're resting then, if you're training four or five days a week, your rest days, are they... Total rest days like n- no activities whatsoever.
1: So, on my rest days currently, um, I'm walking just 5k. So, at the moment, I'm taking Tuesdays, Thursdays, um, and Sundays off. So, yeah, just 5k's really. Um, my macros are exactly the same. I'm not cycling carbs at the minute. Um, so yeah, I've not really, not really been doing much. I haven't been sleeping that great, um, but I, I just, just the five k really. I've not really done much else. But when I go back to work, it's going to be rest, but not really rest. So, um, again, the food's going to be a little bit higher. Um, hopefully, what sleep think will sleep, be a bit better by then.
0: What do you think's affecting your sleep at the
1: moment? Um, I think that my my mind's too active at the minute. Um, I think that you need to get in bed when you're ready to switch off, not get in bed because you think that you have to go to sleep. So I've been doing that and getting in bed and just laying there. Mm. And I, also as well, I think that there's quite a strong argument that putting your phone down, you know, a lot earlier and because I'm coaching people, you kind of feel like you have to be there all the time. You don't have to because you know, they're individuals, they can make decisions and, um, and, and often they kind of know what decision you'd make or, or what you would kind of respond to anyway. But it's like, generally, you can be, you know, messaging or, or still supporting clients. Or for me, giving feedback to clients lifting because they actually um, send records of their lifting um, onto a group that I go in and give feedback. Um, and sometimes I, I'm just sitting on the sofa and it'll be 10 o'clock and I'll just start doing this feedback and then it wakes up my mind. So I think probably better time management so I can actually allow for chilling out a little bit, you know, rather than looking at my phone and that's probably quite a big factor.
0: You know why that is, Ben, don't
1: you?
0: Um, you got in each of your eyes, right? And forgive me, I'm not trying to take you down. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: shut up if I'm boring <laughs> you. Yeah each eye you've got three thousand receptors and right. that blue light coming from your phone is telling your brain that that's daylight that's daylight right. okay daylight. yep yep your brain will stop producing your sleep hormone so when when you wake up in the morning to to help reset your circadian rhythm or your body clock like within waking if you can go and get some natural daylight for like 10 minutes right. as soon as you can from waking up and that means like physically outside where yeah. sunlight's gonna hit your skin, not not through a window. You can get it through a window, but it takes like up to 10 times more. So if you can get a quick hit of 10 minutes of daylight in the morning, what that will do is that will tell your brain to start producing cortisol, or what's known as like your daytime hormone. So when, when you get to the evening, it's like flipping your phone over around like what's gonna be sunset time, and, if it, and turn all your ha- house lights off, if you have anything on, just put a candle because the, the color of a candle flame mimics the sunset. And what the sunset color, the orange color, will tell your eyes is ah, it's nighttime. I need to start producing melatonin on my nighttime.
1: Morning. Right. So
0: yep. it's, it's winding your body down. So you're prepping yourself for sleep. Like, and once your body gets into that routine of having that regular wake and sleep cycle, like you're you're prepping your body in the morning with the daylight and you're prepping your body in the evening with the darkness or the
1: yeah, and- yeah it makes sense
0: so it's like there's a lot of a lot of science into it and i probably bastardized that massively but <laughs> that's that's the takeaway i've taken from
1: it yeah yeah well if like, it's working then you know let's not well, knock it
0: with the exception of these podcasts eight o'clock i've got a no tech rule um and like i'll stretch read lights off and if it I'm shocked if I'm not asleep by 10. But just, just give it a try. A lot of people that I've said that to, they speak to me the de- next day and I was like, fucking hell, I've had the best night sleep in, in ages. So like, yeah. look, phones, you, you, you know, we can't live without them this day and age, but there's definitely a, you know, we uh, have got to have some discipline in in making sure it don't affect like our essential parts of, of life, which is sleep, Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely
0: one of them for sure. Yeah, I'm conscious of time, mate, but this this jump into um, our standard chasing discomfort. Quest.
1: Yeah, let's go.
0: What is the one non-negotiable rule that you live by?
1: Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's showing up, um, consistency, and executing what I've set out to do for that week. Um, most importantly, for me, related to training, um, if I'm going to train four times. I'm, I'm training four times a week. You know, if I'm going for my 5K, I'm going for my 5K. I'm not going to get to, to um, the position or, or body weight that I want to unless I adhere to, to what I've set out.
0: Mm. I have this little strap line for myself that if, I, if I'm writing shit down, it'll be plan, execute, just do it. Because like, you, you you can spend too much time procrastinating and Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And do
0: it, you know? Yeah, yeah favorite
1: quote um if you want an explosion in life you got to like the flame first (laughs) (laughs) it's just one that that kind of stuck out for me a long time ago and i think that you know people expect things quickly and it's like well actually you know you need the fire to get going or the motivation or or, um or the someone to inspire you or or you need something right to, to get you going and then um yeah, I mean, you can you can get that explosion and, and achieve what you want, or it it could be many different things, couldn't it? Yeah, you, you,
0: you're right though. You need that ignition in the first place, don't
1: you? Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Dream car.
1: Oh wow! So uh, <laughs> I like different things. So it's not your your kind of Lamborghini, but um, I don't know if you know what a Connor's egg is. No. Do you know what a Conners egg? Con- no. Conners egg, um, or or. I think, I think it's a Pagandi. Um, they're, they're two different cars. Um, a Connorseg basically like a Swedish uh, supercar. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, one of them. I mean, if you ever get the chance to have a look at the performance um, and, and, and just what they look like, unbelievable. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, there's a, a reasonable amount of Lamborghinis, it seems, in Essex. So, uh, you know, if I had a Connorseg, then you know that it's me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'll look that up tomorrow, mate. I've never... Heard of it, but um if it's Swedish, I can guarantee that it's made very well. Yeah. Um two dinner guests that you'd invite, either dead or alive, who would it be?
1: So before lifting, I used to play football. Um and uh yeah, I'm I'm actually a Newcastle supporter now because of this guy. Um so the one and only Alan Shearer. Um so yeah, as as I was
0: um The famous girl celebration.
1: Growing up, yeah, yeah. Uh he was kind of um uh, I was brought up to be a West Ham supporter, believe it or not, but uh, I chose my own ways. I think I was about eight years, eight years old, yeah. And I, I kind of followed Alan Shearer as he moved from Blackburn to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And um ever since obviously being kind of you know England goal scorer and and yeah, so um and the other one there is uh, Taylor Atwood. So basically he's um one of the best power lifters in the world, actually um he was voted um well statistically uh, the best powerlifter in the world um in terms of like um his ability and and Wilk's score which is kind of an IPF points which is how they rate you as a lifter um mm-hmm. so i mean this guy he's a 74 kilo lifter um he deadlifts pretty much 300 kilos um sorry 300 um and 10 plus i think um he's bench bench press is 200 kilos at 74 and his um uh, his squat is just under three hundred i think, which is incredible i mean his total was um was uh seven hundred and oh was seven hundred and something anyway um which is uh no actually it was it wasn't it was eight hundred it was eight hundred which is incredible um Mm -hmm. so yeah he's like kind of the number number one lifter in the world um and he's you know very down to earth i mean i never met him uh he's an american um but it's inspiring you know to see these guys putting it out all all on there um the guy's got a a normal family normal job and Mm -hmm. just what he's achieved it's just powerlifting isn't a funded sport so he he gets recognition from lifters but like not really for Anything else, you know, like because of like we said yeah. before, spectatorship isn't very high in this sport. But um, yeah, them two. I think we'd have we'd have um well interesting conversations, right? A footballer and a powerlifter, but two powerlifters.
2: Yeah.
0: <sighs> I can see Alan Shearer getting lost in your powerlifting conversation Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <sighs> uh, what's your ring walk song? What's your hype song? What's the one that fires you up?
1: Um so Ring Walk uh, was actually, um, wait. Well, it was a, a Drake featuring Eminem, um, which was actually, uh, one sec, this is something that um, I wasn't really that kind of sure about because it's, it's something that I listened to quite a few hyped-up songs, um, but there wasn't one that really kind of stood out for me. Um, but if there was one... Um, it was going to be this one, which uh, I think some people will probably relate to, which is Forever by Drake, Kanye West, uh, Little Wayne and Eminem. Uh, have you heard that before?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, when it kind of kicks in a little bit, you know, especially the Eminem drop. Oh, unbelievable. But, um, yeah, I, I do love a, a bit of kind of rap, uh, even a little bit of um, grime, you know, a um, bit of grime stuff when I'm, when I'm listening. I'm rather than rock, I'm not really a rock person.
0: Yeah. No, look, you have got to go with the jams that bump you, right? Like Yeah, my,
1: that's it. Whatever works.
0: My uh my iTunes is very, very varied from like uh you know Double right through yeah. to Jimi Hendrix to Bob Marley to like house music to all sorts of stuff. Like and you just move mu- music for me is timeless but i love that question because i love the neurology behind a power song or a hype song Mm. because music has got such a power in um in just sort of changing your mood emotion or or a scenario um yeah yeah i love i love how it works and i love how like you know, you you feel like you can get um, pumped up just by listening to three minutes of a song. You know, it can just totally change your your mood.
1: Massive, massively performance enhancing. I mean, yeah, you can change that song, and then you know that that weights moving. You yeah. know, five ten percent easier, right?
0: <laughs> um, book you've read or listened to more than once, and why?
1: Um, so, have you read before uh, Chimps Paradox?
0: I haven't. I've been recommended it.
1: Um, Yeah, really, really interesting, right? Because, um, yeah, it's one of them books where it makes you kind of think about things that you've done, you know, and why you've done it and and how that chimp's coming out of you. And it's like, you feel pretty powerful, right? And, um, yeah, I think that it definitely has a carryover into real life, which I I like them books, you know, like – and you you kind of take a different direction on on some – Situations, rather than just jumping the gun, you know. Um, and I, I think I learned quite a lot from that book. So um yeah, I've I've just read it twice.
0: We've all got that reptilian brain, haven't we? That primitive instinct. Like mm. even if you're out walking in the forest with no element of fear or danger. If you hear that twig snap in the distance, you're like, Psh! like you you just you just instinctively dial in. Like is that danger? Is that something coming to get me?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think more so in today's society, just how life is that we jump to conclusions because, um, you know, there's more kind of negative in the world than positive. So it seems or or in terms of facts, people pay more attention to negative information. right? Um, So it's like, actually, we always see the negative in things. And it's like, yeah, don't jump the gun. Actually assess the situation. Is that factual or, or, you know, is it the human or the chimp? You know, Mm. work out what's going on before you open your big gob you know um but yeah really really interesting i'd definitely recommend it
0: cool i will dive into that at some point for sure um what do you do if you start feeling off or you start feeling down
1: so i've read before that showers are pretty good and i can definitely second that so like having a shower just makes you feel good generally i have a shower in the morning irrelevant of whether i'm going to the gym because it gets me up gets me feeling active you know i start feeling pumped for the day um, so what I might do now is jump in the shower and then and stand at the window for 10 minutes and get that sunlight in. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I'll have my towel on. So <laughs> give the neighbours yeah. a shocker. Yeah. You can
0: do two for one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like to go for walks as well. Hence why. Um, yeah, I said earlier that I was doing my 10Ks um, and I really enjoy it if I'm thinking about something, I have to think about it. And it's like, not that I can fix anything, but I like to digest and actually think about the situation, you know, what's happened and the scenarios and, and given say uh, out or answers for the, for the situation. So um, I like to actually think about things rather than just put them to the side. Um, mm. And I mean, look, I can walk along and listen to a really sad song and it made me happy. And that is really bizarre because a lot of people say, no, that just makes me, you know, get more upset. And I'm like, actually, like, I'm feeling my emotions. And um, I'm quite a a soft sort of character. Um, And um, yeah, like listening to a sad song makes me happy. Like it's so weird. But um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that, you know, it's what I'm thinking about sad, but I like to think about things and, and get it out on my walk and then when i come back in it's like actually like i really needed that and i feel great and it's like yeah i was on my own just doing my own thing listening to my music you know no distractions and and you can just think and i could just walk anywhere it doesn't even matter where i am um so yeah really really like walking lately
0: i've been trying to do this thing um like three 10 minute walks after eating so like right? your, your main three main meals breakfast lunch and dinner if you, even if you're at work, if you're on a phone call, like you just walk five minutes one way, turn around five minutes back. And that's got like, uh, it has such a big impact on your insulin reaction, your digestion of your food, mm-hmm. uh, blood pressure. Um, it's got more impact than one 30-minute walk, having three 10-minute walks. And they, they're saying there's more science to say, that 3 ten-minute walks has got a better impact than ten thousand steps, um, especially after like after the eating part of it. So, yeah, uh, yeah. like, I found running a bit of a therapy for me. Um, yeah. I don't run fast enough, so I'm still able to think when I'm running.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I like... used to go to running actually. Used to like a few years back when when I wasn't really worried about my hips because the impact no no go for me now. But I've seen you running actually.
0: Hmm. Well the impact for me changed when i started wearing barefoot trainers and that that sounds like probably the opposite thing to what a lot of people would say oh there's less cushioning so therefore you get more impact for your joints but when when you when you understand like how we was designed to run definitely
1: yeah 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 yeah
0: hunting for 50 kilometers Mm -hmm. an animal like you you're literally caressing your foot on the ground when you got this big like cushion shoe on you you're jarring your heel into the ground and the shock that's going through like your ankle and your knee and your hip like that you've got if you want to know what's your actual correct running pace then go and run barefoot because you won't run any faster than that because like your body will tell you like all the sensors in your feet will tell you like what's your natural pace to run at anyway we'll move on because you got me on my got me on a little rant. What's your number
1: one life hack? Your... Um, so I, I like to think when they when they kind of um, when when things are kind of uh, yeah like getting hard and for me to kind of think about things, I think um, you've got to stay on top because otherwise, if you get behind, you've got double the work to do. You know, example will be you know what we said earlier. If I'm sixty six and I'm competing at fifty nine. What are you doing, Ben? You're just making life harder for you because you're going to have to go through that cart, which is going to affect your performance and then, you know, or affect your leading up to your performance. It could risk your performance and you're going to have to put in a hell of a lot of hard work. You know, Mm. if I stayed around, say, 61, 60, so stay on top with everything, really. You know, don't let things build up too much and and leave them um, unless you have a valid reason to leave them, you know, because sometimes you need time out, right? But um, yeah, just stay on top as much as you can. Yeah, be accountable and responsible. Yeah, cool. Uh, favorite film? Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Oh, I love that film. I watched it a few weeks ago. Right, I swear I was nearly in tears. Like when he, when the boy is leaving him. Like I don't know. Just yeah, really really good film. Just liked it for years. Yeah, cool.
0: Um, Spirit animal?
1: So I didn't actually know this one because I I like sharks, but I've got no actual relation to to them at all like in terms of you know spiritual stuff or sin or signs and stuff like that but i actually filled out like a, a calculator for to work out what my spiritual animal was yeah. and um well apparently it's a wolf so i'm quite delighted about that one but i can kind of relate to that because you know um i kind of see wolves more than i do any other <laughs> any other animal let's look look at it that way and um yeah i, I kind of like the behaviors of wolves you mm. know and what's spoken about them and yeah, so they are quite
0: similar to us, aren't they? They're a pack animal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and what they do, they look after each other and live in the hunters and.
0: Yeah. Um, what's your mantra when the going gets tough?
1: So um I kind of think that everything is temporary. Um, that was something that again, in the lockdown situation, it was like, I kind of kept rehearsing to myself that everything's temporary and that one day, you know, we'll rise again and this will be over and this, that, whatever. And I think that we've all been in that situation where we're in a position where we're suffering with something or hurt from something. And it's like, actually like if we step outside and, and, and look at the situation, we've probably been here before and it was temporary before. So it's likely to be temporary again. So give time some time, but most importantly, um, everything is temporary. Mm, that's a good philosophy um favorite sweet treat oh birthday cake i love a birthday cake to the point i got a christmas present this year from two of my clients actually they're a couple and they bought me a birthday cake for christmas <laughs> <laughs>
0: was it a crispy cream birthday cake
1: no it wasn't but <laughs> it was it was it was tasty i'm telling you so um yeah, I mean, if I had to have it now, I'd be having a probably a slice a day, and I'd be fitting into my diary somehow, uh, diary my, my my food somehow. Let's look at it that way.
0: Um, if you had to pick one dinner for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh,
1: this can be like takeaway or just anything, right? Absolutely anything. But you
0: have it every night for
1: the rest of your life. uh. My go-to <laughs> is actually like chicken, teak and madras. Um, but I don't know if I can eat that every day. <laughs> I, don't know I, I don't know if I... I wouldn't be able to walk around. I think I'd be stuck indoors nursing the nursing, the, nursing the toilet. No. Um Maybe um, a lasagna, something like that. Yeah, lasagna. Cool. Let's just go have lasagna. Have you got a favourite place in the UK? Um, I have, actually, and that's my hometown. <laughs> um, and my reasoning behind that is because like, I've travelled, I've lived in Dubai for a little bit, you know, I've, I've lived in Cyprus for a little bit. And you know what? It's like there's nothing better than coming back to your, your hometown. Mm. And it's like, although we kind of oversee it sometimes of, of, you know, our local surroundings or whatnot. And I live in Lee and it's like, I love old Lee. And it's like, yeah, I, there's nowhere really that I'd rather be um, because when I've been away from it, I've missed it so much. Mm. Um, and it's only when you're away from it that you actually realize how much you miss it. And because I haven't lived anywhere else in the UK, I've been to other places place of holiday. It's never the same when you live there compared to visiting because a holiday is always fun, right? You go to yep. Skegness. Oh, wow. I had, a, I had an amazing time at Butlins. But if I move there, like, is it going to be so great? Do you know what I mean? So, yeah.
0: It got voted the happiest place to live in the UK, didn't it, Lee? Oh, did it really? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. There's, there's something about that connection of being close to water. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think people find a lot of uh, sort of like levelling out, like a lot of balance by by being close to the water. Um, my wife's great aunt lives in Sea and we always find ourselves sort of attracting towards Lee and going for a little walk down old Lee and, you know, along the cockle sheds and down the sort of estuary from Chalkwell. And it's just, yeah, when, when you're that close to the sea, you just feel this level of um, relaxation for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that as well, because you're you're close to settled water. You know what they say about fish, right? You have a fish, you, you watch the fish moving around, it's quite relaxing. You know, mm. you've got the bubbles or whatnot. Um, I don't know if it's the same kind of philosophy, but you've got the water that's very still and calming. And I think that we probably get something from that.
0: Mm so you're in a perfect place then to go and do some cold water dips
1: do you know what sign me up (laughs)
0: Um, best and worst exercise movement
1: so i love the squat although it doesn't like me (laughs) Um, but yeah i love the squat i think squat is king Uh, you know it's an analogy of life as well you know when things get heavy um you just got to get back up and stuff like that and it's like That is my favourite and um, I love when squats go well. Um, So if I had to do any exercise for the rest of my life, it would be that one as well. Um, Just, yeah, it's not so forgiving on my body at the minute, but we'll fix that. And your least favourite? Oh, anything on my hands, like bear crawls. I don't mind push-ups, but I mean, you know... (sighs) I mean, working in gyms for years, if you go on a course where you have to teach people to walk around, you know, like on on their fours or then walk out things, you know, have you seen people do them like walkouts, walking back in? I hate all that sort of stuff. (laughs) My wrists are quite tight anyway, and I put that down to um, a little bit kind of bench powerlifting related. And I'm not I'm not the most supple person anyway. And um, anything walking around on on all fours like that? No, not for me.
0: Favourite sport?
1: Now powerlifting, um, but used to be football. So, yeah, I mean, powerlifting being quite an individual sport, um, football being a a team sport. um, Yeah, just powerlifting for now. Might go back to the football as I I get a bit older if I can't lift. But I'm hoping to play a little bit just socially, you know, this year. So look forward to that.
0: And final question, mate. What advice would you give to a younger youth?
1: So I would probably tell myself to, wo- to work harder earlier. And I don't mean that by, you know, break my balls at like 18 years old. Like, go and enjoy your younger years, but also prepare a little bit more for your future. Um, so therefore, you have most things in place by a reasonable age so you can enjoy it more. Um, so yeah, just... just put a little bit of work in earlier doors collectively over the years. Um, I think I possibly enjoyed being young for quite a long time. Um, and that one day I just decided that actually I'm going to graft now and and really work hard. Um, and it's really paid off. But if I had done that younger, then i would probably be in a a little bit of a a better situation. Not that I'm in a bad situation at all. I think I'll just be ahead of, um, you know, I'll be where I want, want to be probably already.
0: Mm. You, had, you had to walk that earlier path, though, to be able to make that decision, right? You needed that spark to come. So everything exactly. happens for from-
1: Exactly. And, you know, I probably wouldn't have made the decisions that I now make if I didn't have the experience and, and what I've done before. So, yeah, it all kind of works together.
0: Cool. Ben, where can people find out more about you where, where's the best place to um you know contact you speak to you about your coaching your programming all the stuff that you do
1: so i'm on instagram um as um 13 en hampson fitness um which is one three which is a b um i'm also on instagram as uh ben's barbell club um which is also a 13 for the b um and i'm yeah. also um i've just recently launched um like new lifestyle uh, slash transformation coaching so i'm also on instagram as uh, built by ben uh, which is as i say transformation mindset kind of coaching people into um, behavioral changes that are going to give them a better relationship with food um, rather than just you know cutting carbs or cutting their calories and and you know not feeling great for it and having yo-yo diet in and weight fluctuations
0: yeah installing good healthy habits
1: exactly exactly
0: cool top man ben look i really really appreciate your time uh, thank you for coming on the show it's been wicked to have you on and um yeah we wish you all your best in your endeavors and hope you get back on that platform soon um and yeah
1: cool well yeah thanks for having me uh, it's been a pleasure and um hopefully I'll, I'll see you one day when i'm manly enough for that ice bath right
0: I'm holding you to it. By the end of 2021, you're going to be in that ice (laughs) bath 100%. Let's do it. That's the deal. Face your fears.
1: (laughs) Cheers, mate.